I think we're having a bit of trouble with the line, madam. But if you can hear us, then welcome to episode 0012 of A Review to a Kill, which is a look back on the James Bond series presented by fanboysanonymous.com. This episode is for your eyes only, and since it's a podcast, it's for your ears only as well. So we're just going all over the face <laughs> with this one. <laughs> I am your host, Tony Mango. I'm joined by Robert D. Felice. This movie taught me why I don't have muscle tone. <laughs> and Cal Wiggins. I'm trying to figure something funny to say. I can't find anything in this line. This movie's not. This movie's not as uh, well put together in the lines front. No, you don't understand. You're English. <laughs> it it really isn't. And to be perfectly honest, the only option I had for like a, a funny intro that I couldn't think of was the name's bland, James Bland. <laughs> I I agree with that sentiment. <laughs> Before we get started, let me remind everyone that if you're enjoying this series, make sure you hit the like button on YouTube, share this on Facebook and social media and Twitter and so on and so forth. Uh, subscribe to the channel if you haven't done that already. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter as well. Hit that uh, notification bell. That way you know when these videos and other things get posted. Help us grow and, uh, you know, do things like join the YouTube membership side of things. The Patreon is another way that you can show us some love. Uh, a dollar a month is more than a bargain, especially when you can do the uh, bonus features that we do that are Patreon exclusives. And there's the Pick Your Poison tier where you can request certain things. So, you know, for instance, if you're really enjoying the James Bond series that we're doing here and you really want to make sure that we do, in fact, cover things like Johnny English or the Austin Power series or talk about the video games or anything like that, the Pick Your Poison tiers to be uh, the ability to be able to make sure that we do that. And the more support in general that we have, the more content that we can bring you guys. So if you like what you see here on the site and the channel, make sure that you take advantage of those kind of ways to let us know that you feel that way. Also, leave a comment, tweet at us, so on and so forth. Tell us your thoughts on the movie. Tell us your thoughts on our thoughts on the movie and uh, everything else that goes along with that the whole thing. So long story short, I always want to like this movie, and I can see some serious potential behind it, but I just do not like it. And I think that every element of it is entirely forgettable, from the main girl to the main villain to the action sequences. I'll spoil something for the end here. This gets a thumbs down from me in every single aspect for the most part. Because the only parts that aren't bland are things that are deliberately over the top in not in like a fun and entertaining way, but more about like it's it's fitting for the time, I guess, but it doesn't hold up. And it's a battle between either boring and forgettable or unforgettable for the wrong reasons, <laughs> kind of. How are you guys in a general uh, sort feeling about For Your Eyes Only? It's going to be forgotten. And for me, like it, it was fine. I think we're firmly in the place of these Bond movies are no longer suave. They're very, very camp. And this one was good, but I'm really just excited to get through this next one and get to Dalton. Next two. You want two more? Yeah. Damn. There's Octopus <laughs> and Irrefutable. Uh, oh, I So, this movie fights an uphill battle after an hour. 
an hour into it and you re- and I'm thinking, oh my god, hell, does this get any worse? <laughs> and frankly, at that point, it starts to pick up, and so it it doesn't redeem it overall, mm-hmm. but I think the the final hour is far better than the first hour of the movie. Fully agreed. It's, but some of that stuff in the first hour is just some of the worst shit that you that you would see <laughs> in the entire franchise. Yeah. But some of the, I think some of the stuff towards the back end is actually pretty good. So I'm not like super down on it. It's 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 not gonna it's definitely not gonna be near the top of my rankings. It's probably the weakest more movie so far. But there's I found things to enjoy out of it. Yeah, like I said, like there's some potential here, and I think if this had been made with Dalton. And a few years after it was made, and given just a couple rewrites, it could be a damn good movie. But there's so many problems in it that just detract from it and make it one of my absolute least favorites. Uh, like this was one that I really, really wanted to revisit because I I've only seen it a few times because every time I've seen it, I've been like, yeah, you know, I don't like it. And I was thinking, you know, it's been at least 10 years since I've seen it. Maybe my tastes have matured. You know, I mean, when you grow up, when you're a little kid, you don't like green beans. You know, you want to just eat marshmallows and whatever. And eventually you go, all right, I'm an adult now. I'll, uh, you know, I'll like vegetables a lot more. And I was like, maybe this will be like my, my vegetable of the series of like, my tastes have matured and now I can appreciate it a little bit better. And at five minutes into the movie, I'm like, I forgot about how much I hate this thing. <laughs> like, we're going to talk to the beginning, to the end, everything in between. And let's start off with the uh, foreign language titles, because that's always something kind of funny. There's a lot of things, of course, that are like only for your eyes or this is for just your eyes or, you know, the kind of boring translations but there's a couple other ones that are a little bit different there is uh germany has on a deadly mission not very specific (laughs) they're all deadly denmark has agent 007 strict confidence i don't like it yeah i don't like that at all sweden has from a lethal viewpoint so that's got to be confusing when they go to a view to a kill right after this Uh, Finland has very confidential. That sounds boring as shit. <laughs> hey, did you guys go see the movie? Very confidential. <laughs> and then uh, my favorite out of the bunch is from the Czech Republic. It's top secret <laughs> with uh, exclamation point. Top secret with Jimmy Bond. <laughs> yeah. It just makes me think of this dude from Ancient Aliens called David Childress, who. He's got the best voice in that whole show. I don't know if you guys have seen Ancient Aliens, but, um, you know, there's the guy, Giorgio Sukulos, who, like, everybody has the meme of, like, his hands are out, and it's like, you know, I'm not saying aliens, but aliens, that kind of thing. But the David Childress dude, he always says things with, like, a oi kind of noise. So if he says, like, some kind of ship in the sky, he'll be like, some kind of ship in the sky kind of a thing. But there's this one clip of him, and he's just like, top scientists! <laughs> and he's like flipping out. <laughs> so I'm just thinking, top secret! Like, yeah, I want the David Childress version of this movie. I think it'd be a lot more entertaining. <laughs> the wiki quote 
uh, taglines, at least according to WikiQuote, I should say. These are how they were trying to pitch the movie to get people to watch, you know, selling the movie based off of these ideas. Bond has everything. James Bond double eh, wait, cheap. Uh, let me redo that. Bond has everything. James Bond Agent 007 is back. I think that that's so bland. <laughs> yes, I, I There's don't a, anything about the movie. No, it doesn't. He owns space, guys. That's right, yeah. Sp- space is Bond's now. <laughs> Forgot about that. <laughs> Bond has everything. James Bond Agent 007 is back. Including space. There's a Bond for thrills in For Your Eyes Only. <laughs> What? What's that supposed to mean? <laughs> what sort of phrase is that lampoon? Yeah. I have no idea. Bond for like, thrills. Like on words when they just put, let's put the word Bond in front of it. And just like, okay, what was it trying to say? Oh, yeah. It's just, oh, Bond, yes. That, that sort of Doesn't that come off as more like a political campaign? Bond for thrills in For Your Eyes Only. Like, vote for, uh, or like, Bond for mayor in 2020. <laughs> Bond for frills. Nixon hates frills. Yeah. <laughs> Vote for Bond and for your eyes only. One of them's just, my name is Bond, James Bond. Like, you're 12 wow. movies in now. We know that. <laughs> One of them's the new Bond, pre- uh, apostrophe 81. What the fuck? <laughs> How is that a tagline? It's not even a new Bond. It's the same Bond we've had for the past four movies. Yup. <laughs> Two movies uh, later, you're going to get a new Bond. And this is the new Bond 81. So this is just literally them saying, here's another. (laughs) Realistically, it's not the new Bond. Because um, uh, Never Say Never Again has come out. And that's the new Bond. (laughs) (laughs) There's also Bond for the ladies in For Your Eyes Only. So he's also for thrills and for the ladies. Good. He has both. I'm glad. And there's uh, Bond at his best and there's nobody better. So they just are thinking two movies ago for Nobody Does It Better. And no one comes close to James Bond 007. Well, at least Melina does. <laughs> and plenty of people try. <laughs> this Bond's got a... Bond on ice. Yeah. <laughs> Let's be fair, there's been quite a lot of Bond on ice movies, so it's kind of a go-to. Could we, we talk about the fact that this is um, it's a play on the short story for your eyes only? Yeah, it's not a um, full novel, and they've gotten to the point now where they've not been adapting the full novels at all. Like Moonraker is not even anywhere close to it, but this is a short story. Even it's a good title, and, though. Yeah, but in the um, in the book, it's a German who's the main villain. Yeah, Risico von Hammerstein. Oh wait, wait, isn't Risico in this one? Um, no, no. Oh, wait, no, that's the another short story. That's that's yeah. that's actually the thing. It's a Fury only is actually yeah combines that and Risico because Christatus is in uh, Risico is the main villain in Risico, but in Fury only it's von Hammerstein. So actually, it kind of does a weird counter mix of both movies. I've always thought that they should use the Risico name in some future story. They're, they're picking and choosing the, elements. The character from it. Yeah, but they could use the name. You know, just make it. I guess so. okay. Like. Die another day, we're going to get uh, Colonel's, Colonel Suntan Moon as a character. And there's a book, not by Ian Fleming, but by Kingsley Amos, I think, uh, named Colonel Sun. So they took like that and they just added a little bit to it, you know, switch it up. But 
Yeah, this is when we're getting into like it, some of the next stories. Like the Living Daylights is a short story. It's Octopussy and the Living Daylights. So like Octopussy comes from that, and there's uh for the property of a lady and the Hildebrand rarity and some different elements. Sort of some of the Quantum of Solace is one in this connection as well. Yeah, like Quantum of Solace, the uh, the story I think is like Bonds eating dinner and talking to someone, and that's it. You know, it, it probably would have been better than the movie. <laughs> Bond is back. Dinner. The new dinner Bond. Bond for dinners in Quantum of Solid. <laughs> Nixon Hanks dinner. Bond in dinners. So everybody Bond talks about this movie being a more serious film. And I think that sometimes the word grounded is mistaken for serious. Because it's certainly more grounded than... Re- like Moonraker, I mean Bond's not in space in this one, so technically it's more grounded. But it's definitely still silly. Like there are moments in this that are just as much of a farce as the other Moore films. Oh yeah, I'd say I'd say there are elements of it that are more grounded in reality, as you say, and maybe could be deemed to be more serious. And yeah, I think I think the general flow of the movie feels more serious, and it feels more straight laced than the other bits. But then it's bookended by two of the most bizarre things in the entire franchise so far, which is that opening section and then the fake Margaret Thatcher at the end. Mm. So it's like, so it, it kind of, like, there are parts in it which are completely farcical, but it seems like it's trying to tell a real story in between two. <clears throat> I almost, I almost uh, quite, and I'm going to talk about it a little bit more, but I quite the opening of like one of those like little uh, animations you get for a Pixar movie. Yeah, <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> it's like, oh, Bond, you do this little short story where it just does absolutely nothing to do with the actual movie as well, and it's just a little funny, uh, oh, imagine if Bond did this type thing. Yeah, it's kind of like you go to see, uh, I don't know, an Incredibles movie, and then before that, you've got Wally's adventure where he's doing something completely unrelated. Mm. Actually, before the Incredibles movie, the Incredibles 2, there was that bow story and i liked that even better than incredible stuff <laughs> i was like this is great <laughs> that was good um the lava one the volcanoes i enjoyed that one i believe it was before inside out uh, the singing uh yeah the singing volcanoes. ones from hawaii or whatever yeah See, I've, I've always gone back to the um the um i can't remember what the, the guy's name is but that chess game before bugs life oh yeah yeah i remember that one I think my favorite, we're just talking about completely different Pixar yeah. things, but I think my favorite's uh, Paper Man that came before Wreck-It Ralph, if I remember correctly, by the guy who is trying to throw the paper airplane across the street to the other building because he is interested in the woman and the paper airplane like flies around and everything. That's beautiful little short story. So much better than the opening of this movie. So let's talk about it. Actually, you know what? Before we even talk about that, let me get this out of the way before I forget about it. The Michael G. Wilson cameo for this movie is that he's a priest at a Greek wedding. I'm totally going to forget about it if I don't mention it now. So, <laughs> Gun Barrel is pretty normal for a movie that has such a wacky and funky disco music track to it. it they didn't do the whole crazy Gun Barrel, so I'm okay with that. And this time around, our opening is Bond putting roses on Tracy's grave which is marked 1943 to 1969. Teresa Bond, beloved wife of James Bond. We have all the time in the world. 
So this is interesting for a few reasons. One is that it ages Bond. So if this is meant to be set in 1981 when the movie's released, Tracy would have been 38 years old if she was still alive. And Lazenby was younger than Diana Rigg, if I remember correctly. So he'd be around that age, maybe a little bit more if they just said the actors weren't the same age and all. But clearly Roger Moore's not 38 here. <laughs> hey, he's had a rough go of it, man. Bond has had a rough life. That's <laughs> true. I like that they're acknowledging the Tracy thing. And originally they were thinking about this being when a new person would have been cast as Bond and this would have been a means to show people like it's still the same continuity we're just updating it but that's like where this stops for me if that scene stops with Bond putting the flowers on the grave it's a great opening <laughs> 10 seconds long but it's a great opening Yeah, but it doesn't <laughs> and- <laughs> no oh, I, I don't know if I can I can handle this but <laughs> it's yeah. At, at the very next part of it is not all that bad. A helicopter from Universal Exports comes to pick up Bond. And you're like, okay. And this priest gives him this, you know, prayer. And it's just kind of like, you know, I hope you don't crash. And it's like, okay, that's kind of interesting. And then it turns out Blofeld, who's not called Blofeld in the credits because they didn't have the rights to the character due to the lawsuit revolving around Thunderball. So he's like man in wheelchair or something. Blofeld in a neck brace in a wheelchair because he broke his neck during On Her Majesty's Secret Service, petting a white cat, gets control of the helicopter with a stupid remote control thing. He's by himself on a rooftop. And they figured they would kill off the character as a means to be like, we don't need him. See, screw you, pal. Like we, we don't need the Blofeld character, but I hate this so much. I love this. This is so ridiculous. I love it so much. The man said, please, we can make a deal. I'll buy you a delicatessen. I'll buy you a delicatessen and stainless steel. Nobody knows what the fuck that line means because I've listened to, I I listened to three commentaries about this movie, like watched the movie three times with the commentary tracks. I've listened to and watched YouTube videos about this. I've watched documentary things. The closest I've come to an answer about this is that Cubby Broccoli had heard that the mafia would offer to buy delicatessens for people as like a bribe. And I still have no idea where stainless steel comes in. I guess that's like a fancy deli, but what a dumb fucking line for Blofeld to be saying. (laughs) Now, Now, Tony, as a man who is getting married and is no doubt filling out a registry, do you not want stainless steel appliances? As a man who may or may not know people in the mob. <laughs> if somebody bought me a delicatessen in stainless steel, I'd be like, can I get the money value for this? <laughs> I also don't plan on picking up anybody in a wheelchair and doing anything. To... But again, I, I don't have any villains that are going after me that I know of. So I thought that that was so ridiculous. And Bond gets control and pets him on the head. Said, no, no, don't lose your hair. <laughs> But fucking, it was funny. It was so funny. It was. Yeah, it's, just, it, it's funny, but then it's just 
it's just too ridiculous for this genre of a movie. I know this is Roger Moore. I know what I'm getting into when I'm watching these movies, but he's been somewhat serious the last couple of movies. He's obviously throws in a few extra jokes and gags every now and again, but on the for the most part, it's been okay. It went really crazy in Live and Let Die, but we'll steer past that a little bit. But it's just so it's just this guy, this really bad looking blowfield in a wheelchair and a neck brace with the cat, and he's controlling the helicopter. Like, there's a few good lines like really Mr. Bond, you have no respect for the dead when he throws the pilot out yeah. of the helicopter. That's pretty but then it's followed by I, I trust you had a pr- pleasant fright, which is one of the <sighs> worst lines in the entire franchise so far. It's just And the really delivery really too. Like, yeah, it's it, just really lame. The actor's garbage for it. it it's just, ha, 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 I hope you had a pleasant fright. And I look at her in. But it, this, is like, this is like a parody scene mm-hmm. of Bond. Like, this is something that would happen in an Austin Powers or something along those lines. It's the fact that he takes control of the helicopter. He manages to disconnect the wires before, for some reason, he's decided, Blofeld has decided, oh, I'm just going to fly you around for, for ages, not actually send you anywhere. Then my grand plan is to fly a helicopter into the back of a building and like with Bond in it and then Bond takes control of it beforehand and then you just see Blofeld like inertly playing with the controls and stuff like that. It's like, oh my god, I don't believe my plan of flying a remote control helicopter with Bond <laughs> into into a building it failed. And then I mean it is I am not gonna disagree with Robin saying that it's absolutely hilarious in certain yeah. aspects in certain life. But it's just that he picks the guy up in the wheelchair with one of the struts of the, the helicopter and it's just he's crying and he's begging and he's Mr. Bond, Mr. Bond, Mr. Bond Yeah, and then just drops him in a chimney and it's just Again, it's hilarious. If it was a fucking parody, I'd be crying my eyes out. Right. And I don't think about a parody. But the issue is, this is an actual Bond movie, and it's been a parody can't actually come up with this because it feels like it's just stealing from the movie as opposed to mocking it. How do you mock a, ja- a Roger Moore James Bond movie? You can't. You can't do it. It's that's self-referential at that point. And it's yeah, like, exactly. it's, it's not, in theory, a bad idea for a sequence that could be pulled off. Like Bond being in a helicopter where the pilot gets taken out and somebody else like purposely did that. Cool. Bond having to climb into the front seat of a helicopter and gain control of it. Cool idea. But you throw in the remote control and the, it, I mean like when he gets control of it and he takes the wires out the music goes, and the cat goes, and then you see Blofeld zooming on his fucking rascal, and it's like, even the way that they kill him, like dumping him in the chimney thing is dumb, and he does the whole, Mr. Bond! It's so dumb. It's a clean sweep. Just don't get me wrong, it's like, I was the guy that loved more than anything else in On Her Majesty's Secret Service, the shot of the guy falling off the cliff for about... Oh, yeah. That's great, though. Yeah, but it's just that this is so wacky, and it plays absolutely no part in the story going forward. It's not even like... It doesn't even play a part in going into the intro, because it just hard cuts to the intro off this. Just that they decided, hey, wouldn't this be funny? And they decided to do this as the opening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it not only has nothing to do with the intro, it has nothing to do with the movie. No. There's no part of this that has anything to do with the movie. They never call back to it. Blofeld's not a part of the plot. And this is a character that was 
the most menacing villain a couple movies ago. At, like, from Russia with Love, you were fucking afraid of what this dude could do. Thunderball, this guy's killing his own men because they were found out that they were trying to steal from his own organization. Blofeld kicked ass. And then he got sillier and sillier and sillier to the point where he dies in this franchise in this way. It's terrible. And so, I get that, the feeling... Wait, hold on, is that like legitimately the that's, end? That's the end of Blofeld. He never pops back up until the Craig films when they reboot everything. Okay, well... It's not even like he's another one of those stupid clones from Diamonds Are Forever and it's like, oh, you killed the... The clone me in that wheelchair. No, that's it. That's Blofeld. It's pretty lame, but uh, <laughs> uh, what are you gonna do? So, is do you think this is? I, I, I'd say quite blatantly trying to make the Blofeld character look lame before Never Say Never Again comes out. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, because Never Say Never Again comes out in two years, and so it's already in production probably at this point. They already know it's coming. They know that. Uh, Blofeld is going to be the main villain in that one as well because it's just a, a remake of uh, Diamonds of Forever. And so, so, okay, let's just make a joke out of him so no one wants to see the American version of this movie instead. Yeah, it's a... We might not cover Never Say Never Again. We might... I don't know. I've never actually seen the movie, but it's kind of Thunderball mixed in with some other elements of some other things. It's like a redoing of Thunderball, and not as good because <laughs> well if you've never seen it then i'd like to because it'd be fun to see a movie that you've never seen i've never seen it but i've seen bits and pieces of every part of it like i've never actually sat down and watched it but i know that there's like an extended sequence of bond playing basically battleship like he's playing a video game <laughs> not bingo either <laughs> uh check out the falcon and winter soldier bonus features everybody the um it's just this is just terrible and i get the feeling that when they were making this they were like hey let's try to do on her majesty's secret service because there's a lot in this movie that is a callback or a reference or similar to on her majesty's secret service just not as good and if you remember i don't like on her majesty's secret service <laughs> but i'll read this off from um i think it was the imdb page uh, I'll just read it verbatim because they did a better job than if I was trying to just spit this out on a on a whim. The whole movie is strongly reminis uh, reminiscent of On Her Majesty's Secret Service. In both movies, Bond is with a countess on a beach, threatened by mooks, kicks a gun out of a mook's hand, and he's wearing a tuxedo sans jacket. Both movies show Bond at a casino with the aforementioned countess. Both times, the women are losing at Baccarat. The opening teaser sequence shows Tracy's grave and Blofeld in a neck brace. Also in this movie, Melina is half English, half Greek, and on Her Majesty's Secret Service, Tracy was half English, half Italian. Both movies have Bond allied with a crime syndicate figure who doesn't sell drugs. Bond also escapes in both movies by riding in the car of a female lead, who does the majority of the driving. Both movies have a wedding scene, and Bond riding in a helicopter piloted by someone else. Both movies have Bond speaking with a priest at some point. Both movies are set in the Alps, at one point showing a Bond girl on ice, having Bond on skis getting shot out, and having a bobsled track fight or battle sequence. 
Mountain climbers are shown in both movies at some point. Both movies have a Germanic female character who is in charge of a girl or girls. Finally, in both movies, Bond has a crime syndicate ally assault a mountaintop lair. Like, they were just sort of like, I don't know, uh, take your service, do that, but like, dumb? <laughs> so Yeah, that sounds about right. If you listened to my review of Honor Majesty's Secret Service, the only one that I have ranked higher or ranked lower than that is Diamond Sword Forever because of how dumb it is. So I'm not going to spoil too much here, but if this is Honor Majesty's Secret Service, but dumb, and the only thing below Honor Majesty's Secret Service is the dumbest out of all of them, it's smack dab between the two of them for me. And this opening is indicative of exactly why it's such a terrible way to open up this movie and if you cut that and you start with the movie beginning that they were originally going to start with it's not as bad but we have to go through the opening title sequence and everything that before we get to that point so let's talk about our main theme i sent you guys in the chat a link to an alternate bond theme and This is the, I'm not going to play it on the audio for the podcast. You guys can't hear it. I'm sorry. But um, if you search up Blondie for your eyes only, this was originally the theme that that they were going to go with. And I think it is awesome. It's catchy. It's got a good rhythm to it. Uh, It's not my favorite out of all the themes. And it's not an official Bond theme because they didn't go with it. But I like the Blondie theme much better. But. I think For Your Eyes Only by Sheena Easton is a pretty damn good song. It's on the low it's, end, but it's a good song. See, I disagree completely. It's definitely like, it's, I didn't strike me. I didn't like it at all. I just was like, let's skip past these opening credits. You know, the music has been some of my favorite stuff, but this wasn't it. The Blondie theme sounds much better, honestly. How about you, Cal? Where's Free Eyes Only going? I, I love this song. I just, uh, I just adore Sheena Easton's voice, and I feel like I, I mean, I'm a big fan of the, to an extent, of these credits because they do the unique thing of having Sheena Easton in it. Yeah, it's the first time that they actually show the person singing the song. Is it the only time they do it? I think it might. Yeah, you know what? Because I don't remember like Madonna popping up or. No, and, and if Madonna didn't turn up, then nobody's done it since then. So. Yeah. <laughs> but, what are you saying about Madonna? <laughs> you know what I'm saying about Madonna. <laughs> oh, Madonna um, does uh, get a cameo in that movie, and she does get a dick joke. So, <laughs> I mean, this is very indicative of the more style ones, the more romantic-based yeah. um, like, uh, Bond thing. But I think that it's, like, it's really good. I I I wouldn't class it as a Bond one. The Blondie one is more of a what I would class as an atypical Bond theme song. So that that has that working against it. But yeah, I I don't know. I just I listen to it and I just like the little sound effects at the start of it before she starts singing. And it's yeah, it's slow and it's deliberate, but I feel like it's pretty good. It's one of those songs that I like as a song more than I like as a Bond theme. Because it's yeah, I, I just a good that. song, you know. It's catchy. Yeah. It's it's got a nice uh, feel to it, you know. It, it's it's a pretty song, and the lyrics aren't bad or anything weird. It's not trying to 
get a little bit too oddball with you know like the man with the golden gun is like ridiculous i love the man with the golden gun for how ridiculous it is but this is very straightforward you know for your eyes only only for you uh i I like the romantic side of things because there there are multiple different types of bond themes there's the more aggressive like you know my name type ones there's the more romantic ones nobody does it better or um octopussy's uh, all-time high when we get to that and then there's the ones that are just flat out like spy theme type ones and i do like the song a lot uh i think that the visuals are kind of bland because it is mostly just sheena easton with some silhouettes over her face and everything yeah she i mean she is gorgeous so i don't complain about that too much and she's um yeah i mean so i don't complain about that side of it too much uh, what I do play at, and this is happening a lot of credits, but or opening credits, but I think this is the most egregious example here of the one silhouette splitting into two silhouettes. <laughs> yeah. And it is so fucking obvious when the split happens. And they, they I don't know why they keep going back to it because they've never done it seamlessly at this point. They don't have the technology to do it seamlessly, and yet they still think that it's a cool spot to do. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, so- the way that they did some of this stuff is really, it's its not funny, but it's funny. So, yeah, Sheena Easton, very pretty girl. And I forget if it was Cubby Broccoli or if it was somebody else. I think it was Broccoli, where part of the reason that she got the gig was because she's good looking. And they just sort of like, you know, like, oh, wow, she's like uh, this really attractive woman. Let's put her in the thing and everything. And the way that they did this uh, whole shot of her face and everything, weirdly enough, was to rig a metal clamp to her head <laughs> that they hid within, within her hair so that she couldn't move her head a fraction of an inch because it would be a blurry picture. So she's going on record saying that this was, like, super painful. <laughs> yeah, I can't fucking imagine why. Yeah, um, like, we're going to clamp your head to not move. Can you pretend like you're in the middle of this ba- power ballad kind of thing? This is... Just as bad as the fucking bird. (laughs) At least she's got the ability to say no. The birds are just like, glue the damn thing. That makes it worse. (laughs) For a movie like For Your Eyes Only, though, no eye imagery in this? No, like, cool shots of eyeballs? We eventually get them. It's just underwater stuff, right? Yeah, it's Thunderball stuff. Yeah, because a lot of it's going to be underwater, as Edward... I I would totally not disagree with anyone that would say that this is boring yeah. as an intro goes. It's very, very deliberate and slow and nothing out. The only thing that's out of the ordinary and unique about it is the fact that Sheena Easton is there. And that's the only thing really that it has going for it in terms of being unique. Again, it harks back to the whole idea that this is a bland movie. And it's easily forgotten about. Because nobody's going to go, remember those really cool opening titles of that? People go, oh yeah, it's Gene Easton. And that's it. Nobody's going to remember anything other than that is Gene Easton. And even uh, the title sequences when it comes to that, uh, there's a story on one of the commentaries that I thought was kind of funny where uh, Morris Bender, the one who does the opening titles, when they were producing the song for this, he was like, oh, I'm so happy that you're finally giving me a theme the title of the movie comes very early because the last bunch of movies, you've been giving me these themes where it pops up way afterward and I can never cut it to the beginning where the title pops up when they say it. And they didn't. 
they had this whole thing where the, it literally the last line was for your eyes only. <laughs> and they were like, fuck. <laughs> so they redid the entire song and rewrote like a whole different thing with being like, okay, this one starts with for your eyes only <laughs> instead of ending with it. So I thought that was kind of funny that it's like, if he wouldn't have said that, we would have gotten a completely different song that would have been like this and this and this and this and this, and it's all for your eyes only. And instead it's for your eyes only. You see, like, you know, start off with that. The Mars Bender is just sort of like, ah, thank God you're finally doing this. And they're just sort of like, we're going to call you later. <laughs> Let's do this real quick. <laughs> the guy literally had the, um, the tape, like they had that that far along in the process, and it was like toss out the tape. We're doing a brand new song, you know. So this took a while to get for your eyes only, but so we're twelve films deep now. You know the formula. Something has to get stolen at the beginning of the movie. It's been a a, a rocket. It's been a ship. This time, uh, you got a, another ship, and there. There's like a an ATAC machine. It's basically the Lecter from For Your Eyes Only, or from From Russia with Love, mixed with the targeting system from The Spy Who Loved Me. It's copy and paste what we've seen before. Although, to the film's credit, I think that the death sequence is a little unsettling. And that's pretty good because you got like the screaming with the alarms going off and trying to blow up the machine so nobody can get it and the ship's being flooded and all that. I like that quite a bit. Yeah, it's quite serious and visceral almost. You just, I mean, I hate watching movies where you see people drown because it just, like, <laughs> drowning feels like one of the worst yeah. like, ways of dying. And so when you're seeing that happening and he's constantly trying to grab at the the uh, switch to um, disable the ATAC and uh, put it, uh, yeah, to, to make sure that it can't be falling into the wrong hands. It's just, it's, it is really, like, unsettling to see that happening in front of your eyes. Only. Mm. <laughs> I uh, agree with everything Calum said. It looks very serious. I don't like water. So, drowning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That same thing when it comes to people being like buried alive in a movie and gasping for air, and you know that they'll never be able to get out of that tight space. And uh, I'm not claustrophobic, but once you get into those scenarios, I'm like, mm, get out. Like, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I mentioned in the Moonraker review, Bernard Lee had passed away during the pre-production of this film, so the character of M doesn't show up in this movie. And instead of getting a reaction shot of M, we get, in his place, Sir Frederick Ray, the defense minister that we've seen in the past two films. But not only is he informed of the ship going down, so is General Gogol, who we've got in the past couple of movies. And he wants to retrieve the attack from it, but he, he makes it a point to be like, hey, look, don't like go after it but you know if we happen to come across it pretty dope right <laughs> so, <laughs> i got my guy on uh in greece on it now i'm gonna go bone my secretary <laughs> you know why he's uh general gogol he's a g <laughs> very very good Terry. i love gogol he's so good and we meet the main girl of the film melina havelock and her parents and their parrot named Max that likes to say, you're a guess. And I hate Max. Uh, <laughs> Do you? Yeah, not a fan of Max in this movie. Today I've got a penchant for underwater diving and getting shot, murdered. And that happens. Uh, dun, dun, dun. And we get this reaction shot of Melina looking at the camera. 
it's very melodramatic. And originally, it was supposed to be the thing that would lead into the opening credits. And that's why they zoom into her eyes. But out of context, and with that music, that like, it's just bad. <laughs> yeah, it's quite uncomfortable, her just staring at there for like five seconds. I was, yeah, I mean, it's kind of the dead parents trope is like, is, is something just immediately. I mean, we haven't got to know these people, but obviously you get you get the sense immediately that oh god their parents are dead that means that she's gonna be a big deal so I, i'm not totally against it but it's not it's like you you just met these people two minutes ago and then they're dead yeah all we know about them is that they've got a parrot that eats nuts and that they are a smiling happy alive people and then they not anymore <laughs> that's it it's just like we are so happy and this is great and ah! Well, we know that, or at least in Melina's perspective, that they're, that her, her father is doing um, ex excavation work mm -hmm. underwater, whereas they figure, well, as we learn later on in the movie, that's not necessarily the case, or at least not the excavation that she's thinking of. And she doesn't even become Batman. Parents got killed and everything. <laughs> that is a shame. Which so money to fall down a, a mine shaft and see a load of bats flying towards her before that could happen. Yeah. Beautiful dream. <laughs> uh, Money Penny's got her own little gadgets here with this makeup kit and mirror that comes out of a filing cabinet, which seems like a giant waste of space considering real files could be there and she could have a mirror in her purse. <laughs> like, why would they? I mean, I'm sure I'm sure Q invented it for her as a birthday present, and so she feels obliged to use it. <laughs> it takes up like half the filing cabinet. <laughs> That's just bad. <laughs> Well, whatever, you know, we see Bond throw his hat, which we haven't seen in a while because he hasn't worn a hat at all in these movies and doesn't in this one. He just he throws it. But it's a good callback. I like that. Yeah. And she explains that M is on leave because they don't want to just say the character has been killed off or anything. And that wasn't the plan. You know, M was supposed to be in the movie, of course. I like that uh, when he goes into the office, she's like, are you forgetting something? And he gives her the flower and he's like, well, since M's away, like you can have the flower. She has gotten old. Yeah, she looks considerably older. I, I, I'm not like, I'm sorry, but it looked like, I believe it was Callum who said in one of the recent ones, ah, grandma and grandpa are flirting. Oh, yeah. I, that's what this looked like. It gets worse than the next one. <laughs> Because, yeah, they're older. Like, both of them are older. Uh, Moira looks older. She looks older. And they look like they could be an old married couple. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean it's just... Like, it's 20 years since the, the, the first movie came out. Yeah. Of course they're going to get... Of course they're going to get older. It's not like Money Penny was... Like, Money Penny was been in her 30s when the first movie came out. So mm -hmm. it's like... So it's not going... I, I, don't, I don't have a, like want to belittle them for aging no, unfortunately I... something that nobody can control but it's just the case of well you can't read I, it, this, this flirtation thing just feels a bit more like like I said like the grandparents flirting with each other and stuff like that rather than anything that's kind of like oh that's quite amorous or anything along those lines or these oh these these cute little flirty things it's like it's cute in the same way that like oh isn't it cute that your grandparents have been together for like 40 years or whatever and they still like kiss each other on the cheek or whatever and stuff like that so <laughs> yeah it's when you get your uh your grandpa makes some kind of a joke and you go ah grandpa come on i don't want to know that you and grandma would do that <laughs> 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 uh 
<laughs> so we get introduced to M's replacement for this film, Chief of Staff Bill Tanner, who's going to pop up in actually several other films as a subordinate to M, played by two different actors. Because Tanner's in the books and he's just a character that's like, there's multiple like we got the uh, defense minister throughout the series and we eventually don't have the defense minister anymore because Tanner kind of fills that part. He's kind of the straight laced underling for M and in here he's just M basically because you know, blah, blah, blah. We go to find out uh, who killed Melina's parents because we're supposed to find and retrieve the attack and he hands bond a folder that says for your eyes only, which is like, uh, you know, and they reveal yeah, right. that uh, information about Operation Undertow, which I'm surprised wasn't an alternate title for the movie. I would have thought that that would have at least been you know, a working title or something. Operation Undertow. There's that, yeah, that moment of the folder is just sort of like, instead of being like those parts in the movie where it's like, he said it, you know, like they said Goldfinger or whatever. It's just like, that's the movie, you know. Cinema Sense would be like credits. <laughs> and we get a, a pool party. Bond has his Lotus, Esprit again. He drives to this pool party that's got this hip music. I cringe every time 80s, I see this. This is 80s. very 80s. All right. It's, it's nice. I don't know yeah. what the lyrics are, but it's just kind of like, I'm singing the song. I, it, uh, I hate it. I hate it so much. Music is one of the things I hate the most about this movie. There's a couple tracks that are okay, but for the most part, it's garbage. And I'm sure it was amazing at the time because that's, that's how that works. A note on the scene, one of the actors of the women by the pool, Tula, is the, uh, the model's name. It's actually the first transgender woman in the series. Which they didn't know at the time. I'm <laughs> this, not surprised. <laughs> yeah, this wasn't like stunt casting or let's do this to be inclusive. They just didn't know that she had been born Barry when they had cast her. I'm sure that was uh, embarrassing for one of the producers later on in this show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for, hey, if you're wondering which one it is, it's the really tall one that uh, walks to the left side of the screen at one point. And a bunch of hoopla was made out of like, uh, you know, well, we got this one from this model from this area and this model from this area. And it's like, I think between them, they spoke like nine languages or something. So they went out of their way to like spend a lot of time and effort casting these models that are just hanging around and serve no purpose. I don't know why they would have bothered that much. You just have fun when they stop filming. Sorry. Well, you got that music too, you know, that, that, uh, boss, Boston Nova music or whatever it would be. Bond spotted the guy he's after Gonzalez has this line that I think is terrible. Licensed to kill or be killed. It seems like that guy's got a license to get killed because he does. He literally does. <laughs> He's yeah, diving off the board and he gets shot with an arrow by Melina. What I just like is just the fact that Bond is just scouting around the area and then he's just immediately found and captured and like held up and anything like that. It's just like, okay, that's that was really quick. You just <laughs> completely fucked up your mission. What if they just shot him? <laughs> that's how the Bond series ends. Movie, there's a couple times in this movie where I'm like, just shoot him yeah he's right there you both have guns do it do the deed like what are you doing instead we get some funky waka waka music that i hate Jesus as bond Christ. escapes 
due in part by flying down Mary Poppins style with a parasol. Callum, can you do that? Is that just like an English thing? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, I've never attempted it, but like, I assume so. Never been caught in the rain and just suddenly started flying. <laughs> well, it's not really Mary Poppins style, is it? Because he just falls. It's like falling with style rather than like. Yeah. If he went up in the air straight from that, that would have been impressive. I, he's not quite Yondu level, at the very what least. One of the Q's gadgets been an umbrella that turns into just some sort of flotation device. You would think so. Yeah. You're going to see a, an interesting flotation device in the next movie. <laughs> It's it's kind of related. (laughs) Oh no! So one of the only things I like about the sequence is the bit that the villains who paid off the assassin take the money back when he's dead, and they take the wad of cash away from the bikini girl. (laughs) That like Gonzalez tosses the stack of cash to the girl, then but eventually they're like, "Well, we don't need the. We can take this money back." And then they're like, "Give us that fucking stack too." It's the only thing I like about this. Some oh, goons right. try to get into the Lotus and it's rigged to explode. You know, we're back in Connery style where you do anything to these cars and they explode, I guess. Mm. But they deliberately did this to try to be like, look, he's not going to rely on his gadgets in this movie, which they they do this weird thing with these films where they go so far into this like wacky gadget thing that they think that the response to that is no gadgets. Instead of just acknowledging the fact that you can do some gadgets, just don't go over the top. They're very like, we're going to have Bond with an invisible car and then nothing. And they're like, why is it a hundred or zero? And then this one, they're like, we're going to blow up the car. Ha ha. We got a car sequence with this awful rear projection for 1981 that they've done better in the past. And the it's this... It's, shitty little Volkswagen car because wouldn't that be funny? I don't know what type of car it is. I don't know my cars. but It's a Citroen. Citroen car. Sure. <laughs> it's just some little bug looking thing and it's that's the joke and it, it, I think it even does like a bah, bah, kind of thing or something. I There's hate it. There's a lot it. of really shitty green screen in this film. Yeah. It's 1981. They did it better 10 years ago. I mean, I just find it kind of funny in the way this entire sequence, just because we've seen a lot of like quite quite like epic car chases and all these driving around, and now he's forced by the confines of being in one of the shittest cars ever to just like get away by chance almost. But the fact that the car's constantly rolling over and it's being beaten up all over the place and stuff, stuff like that, and they get away at one point because a bus blocks the path of the villains and stuff like that. I just feel like again it's farcical but i kind of feel like oh bond is having to like you say he's having to work without his gadgets and he's just improvising on the spot so i, I kind of appreciate that in a, in a way i could do without it um, yeah, I, I like the gadgets i'm flat out just not a fan of the sequence i well, i don't no, think the no. uh i don't think the whole thing with the bus and the people helping, like the locals help push the car. I don't, I don't laugh at it. You know, one of the funniest part of this entire thing is, is that uh, at one point it rolls down the hill and then it's, it stopped and Melina puts it in reverse and then it's faster in reverse than it is going forward. Yeah. <laughs> Hold on. Uh, she says, oh fuck. She says it in a weird way. She says, go backwards, forwards fast. 
Or go forwards, okay. backwards, fast. One of those things. I was yeah. like, what the fuck? What does that mean? <laughs> yeah. That was originally what I was going to say when we started so up. <laughs> go backwards, forwards, fast. <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah. Then we get Bond and Melina at a motel or hotel or whatever it is. Uh, it's basically a, a means for him to set up what her quote-unquote character arc is going to be, because it's really not a character arc. Where he says that the Chinese have a saying, before setting out for revenge, you must first dig two graves. Again, in another movie. Why is Bond slightly more ethical in this film? Yeah. Well, he's like a a wise old father figure in this movie. See, I think, again, it's not the most like out there amazing thought of character arc for Melina. But at least it's a character arc. And not it, many Bond girls, even the main Bond girls, don't get character arcs too often. It's a poor attempt at what could have been good. That's I, what I, I kind I, of like. Feel like I almost want to take that over some of the ones we've seen so far. <laughs> yeah, but it, is that good? It's base. It's at a very, very base level. It's the idea that these this person killed her killed her parents, and so she wants to get revenge. It's it's a clear motivation. I don't. Again, it is like absolute base level. It's like, but frankly, that's the fucking Batman arc as well. So it's like, call that base. That's the Batman arc. That's the Spider Man arc. That's basically every superhero's arc. I, I agree. My parents. You. I agree. You that? Yeah. Well, I just don't think my it's parents. I'm out for revenge. I don't think it's pulled off as well as they could have. Like most parts of this movie, the potential isn't met. And then, like, but, but let's talk about Melina. She's again. She's undeniably pretty. Oh yeah! Like she has these great eyes. She's got a nice body. You know, beautiful face. All this other kind of stuff. On like the pure hotness scale, if we're talking about just like ranking the women on the hotness, she's. Where did I rank her on there? Um, I have her. I have her like lower than some of the ones, even that like Sylvia Trench. Whatever, I, I might bump her up. I'm thinking about it. Uh, actually, no, Sylvia was pretty, she was pretty sexy. But like, she's very pretty, and I'm sure that that's one of the main reasons why they had cast her. And the character does have some potential when it comes to a, a character arc, but the age gap is showing well enough that she shouldn't have been cast opposite Roger Moore. And you can't do this story of somebody with her parents and whatever with an older actress. So if Timothy Dalton had been in this movie, I think that that would have been something that works out a lot better, but more telling her the Chinese proverb and trying to impart this wisdom really comes off to me like a father figure trying to look out for his niece or something rather than, yeah, at some point we're going to go at it like jackrabbits. They don't in the movie, but like that just at that point, I'm like, this doesn't seem like a romantic thing. I mean, I guess that's that. I guess that's a fair assumption. I mean, I feel that the early part of it is just more is trying to be a bit more restrained. That he's like, or the more the more Bond, should I say, is being a bit more restrained. But I feel like he, he he's still looking out at that side of things. I think I think he recognizes what pain and turmoil she's in, and they've obviously discussed that situation. So. He thinks that now is not the right time to go for it in a previous movie. Maybe you would do. Again, he has completely picked up on ethics. 
but, but I like. I mean, if he so. says that if you set out for revenge, you have to dig two graves first. I mean, is it okay if she kills uh, the people who killed her parents by picking them up their wheelchair and putting it down a chimney? <laughs> yeah. I, think, I, think I think it's the idea with Melina when he's saying that side of it. He knows that because Melina's not a spy. She's not. Obviously, as we find out in the movie, she's very capable and she's very like resourceful. So that's a plus side. But as far as she, he's concerned, she's just a civilian. She just got caught up in all this uh, thing that completely out of her control. And so he doesn't want to see her get killed. That's why right. he gives her the advice. If it was somebody else who, like if it's Anya, for instance, he, he, he knows that Anya can handle herself. So he's not going to be as forthright about it. But this is just, as far as he's concerned, it's the daughter of um, the, the guy that got killed earlier on that he's aware of. And he's not going, he doesn't want to see her die because he doesn't know how capable she is. Yeah, like the sentiment's not bad. I just think that when you have the age gap between Carol Bou- uh, Bouquet and Roger Moore, it comes off more like a fatherly figure thing. Um, no, I totally understand. And that's, um, yeah, that's the issue of deciding to cast a, a near yeah. 60 year old man in, right. in, in this uh, lead role still. But that blame the casting on that role. The, yeah. The, uh, I, yeah. I blame the casting more than the characters, but the casting obviously plays into that. The new Bond but, 81. <laughs> He's, he well, might be 81 I, years old, but it's... <laughs> but he has I, I do like Melina, though. I think that she is very... And not even just in the looks department. I think that, again, I can understand, again, people taking the perspective that she's bland. And she doesn't have much of a overarching backstory or character. But I feel like she's strong and she's present throughout the entire movie, for the most part. Mm-hmm. She's... I, I mean, I'm enjoying the fact in a lot of these movies that I was missing in the original Bond movies is the fact that they're actually giving these women screen time and they're giving them, again, maybe the personality or the arc isn't the most um, revolutionary ever, but at least it's something. So They're learning. I always see, yeah. yeah, so I, I see signs of progression. Like I'm seeing the evolution to the point where we do get people like uh, Vesper Lind and stuff like that in the future movies. It's like... You're seeing the progression right now, and they're definitely not there yet, but I appreciate it for the most part. So she says that she's half Greek. Insert joke about her relationship with Bond, if you catch my drift, and <laughs> that uh, the Greek always avenge their loved ones, like Electra, and we'll kind of call back to that at some point. Not in this movie, but in another one. And he's under, he's English, so he wouldn't understand. <laughs> I speak English. Uh, even the way that he's dressed as like an old man on this vacation to Disney kind of thing. He's got this zip up windbreaker jacket made out of what I'm assuming is like that water resistant material that uh, old people tend to like. You know, uh, I, I'm expecting Bond at this point to say, uh, like, here's another neat saying. The early bird gets the worm. If we hurry up, we could get the 3 p.m. dinner sale at IHOP. <laughs> it's just kind of... I'm not, I'm not into that, and we're going to call back to the age multiple other times throughout this. Um, here's a weird sequence. Uh, Tanner and Sir Frederick Gray talk to Bond, and they're basically like, come on, Bond, use the identograph, you fucking idiot. <laughs> like, they're well, really unlikable and foppish. They really are, especially Tanner. Like, I know I know. we obviously had a lot of fun in the past about talking about how M just wanted to like seemingly murder Bond in certain parts of the movie, but he did it with a certain level of charm and 
disgrace. These two are just like, oh, Bond, Bond, what are you doing, Bond? Bond, go use the identigraph, Bond. Just Don't so... muck it up this time and whatever. And <laughs> yeah. At least Bond yeah, has a reaction of just like, shut the fuck up, basically, the way that he looks at them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I don't like these guys. It's time for a, a Q branch scene with some of those like hijinks. We got a fake broken arm cast that springs outward and decapitates a dummy's head. And that guy is Q's assistant, Smithers, played by Jeremy Bullock, who was the original Boba Fett in Star Wars. One, ah. of, the, one of the good ones, Empire Strikes Back, you know, the good empire. Rather, rather than when the Empire struck back again and the sequel trilogy rendered six <laughs> films completely pointless. <laughs> Last Jedi sucked. So, <laughs> so lost in that was Callum saying Smithers, which I enjoyed. Holy shit, Tony, you really hate that sequel trilogy. Jesus. It sucks. <laughs> By the way, we're recording this on March 22nd. So I can't imagine that by the time you guys are hearing this, my opinions will change about Last Jedi. <laughs> Maybe they will. God knows how. But um, Smithers pops up again in the next movie. They were trying to make like a little bit of a recurring little sidekick kind of thing. And I, I kind of like Smithers. He's just a guy that's going to be testing out some stuff. And it's kind of fun that, you know, this cast of like, you know, how's the arm or whatever, like bang, decapitates a dummy. It's fun. There's also a... Uh, Bond quips that the cast will come in handy. Like, eh, you didn't try hard, but it's it's good. And there's a trick umbrella that collapses blades onto the wearer, and Bond says, stinging in the rain. And Q's like, knock it the fuck off, basically. <laughs> oh, okay. What is the purpose of that? <laughs> I can't imagine that there's a scenario where that works. Because you'd have so, to give so, an umbrella to your enemy, and it would exactly. have to rain. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's like, oh, it seems like rain's out, my, my mortal enemy, during this fight scene, uh, protect your head from it, and then you just turn that. And how does he, he has to press, deliberately press the button, or whatever it is, to decapitate, well, essentially put the thing around it. Is it like some sort, is it some sort of remote control thing, or is it? No, the, um, the woman puts the water on it, and that activates it. So, so, essentially, you could be... Like a spy could be just holding it, waiting to give it to his guy, and like he, th he thinks rain's about to come, and then somebody just accidentally drops a bucket of water over the top of him, and he's just decapitated next to it. Yep, <laughs> it's one of the stupidest gadgets. <laughs> Even the ones that don't like that tray that uh, slides across the table and decapitates somebody. At least that you're not going to be like, uh oh, like it started spitting rain and we're screwed, and now we get decapitated. This time, yeah. So there's no wonder that that doesn't pop up later on in another movie. Bond has better use using a an umbrella to parachute himself down than he does with that. That's why they don't have the the flight Mary Poppins ones because they're working on ones that stab you in the neck. <laughs> I do like the little bit where Q punches on the keypad to the identigraph and it goes nobody does it, and then Bond just goes better, better. <laughs> and then smirks. <laughs> I like that a little and, bit. And Q is just—he's had it with Bond here. He's yeah. Like, oh, why can't I just have a serious person? Double O Eight would have been serious. Yeah, Double O Eight knows what he's uh like how to do his job more efficiently and everything. Double O Eight's great. Never pops up in the movies, but <laughs> this identigraph is a computerized version of a police sketch artist type tool. 
It's still in the experimental phase, despite how Q explained this to Bond apparently five times. And boy, is it outdated as far as technology goes. God damn. Mm. You don't like my action sketch? (laughs) (laughs) Time to nitpick quite a bit. Within about 10 seconds, even with Q fucking up a couple times and giving him a, a banana instead of a nose and all that other kind of stuff, which... They make the joke like six times where Bond is like, you know, oval glasses. And he's like, whoops, up, oh, whoop, whoops, up, oh, whoops. I did that. Come on, Bond and Q, like, figure the shit out. But 10 seconds later, they basically have the appearance of the guy. And the movie cuts. And it acts like there's this massive passage of time because they've taken their jackets off. They're, they're done drinking some coffee. And Q's assistant brings them some more. Everybody's left. The lights are out. Q says he'll lock up. If they got that far in 10 seconds, what took them the next couple of hours? He barely looks different. <laughs> and they don't even have the hair color and the eye color that, they, uh, color that they've already done. So did they, like, fuck up for two hours or something? No wonder Tanner's all mad. See, I think that they did it in an hour, but then Q forgot to save it. Yeah. <laughs> so I have to do it all over again. <laughs> Turned them all into a banana, I guess. Yeah. But it, it's just sort of, it, it reminds me of like one of those, um, like, because you can see like the, um, those terrible police sketches that you can, like, like artist impressions and stuff like that, you know, like one of those ones where it's like a guy's face and he's got a cabbage on top of his head instead. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> just, okay, okay this, is, this is very rudimentary, but it, we're supposed to believe it's very high-tech, and I guess for 81 it probably was, but it doesn't age well at all, like you said. They got the old-school printer, you know, mm-hmm. where it's got, like, the the bits on the side that you would have to rip off and everything. Uh, the computer tells them that the person's Emil Leopold Locke, and it, I forget, I didn't write it down, but it says something like, this computer thanks you for using it or something on the screen. <laughs> I forget exactly what it was. It yeah i i don't like the identigraph scene and that's like our main cue thing technology tony (laughs) it's advancing the new bond 81 (laughs) 81 bond has everything including this to be fair it's better face scanner than most like nba 2k games that's true maybe they should use this technology for the next wwe 2k game (laughs) it'll come out a lot better i promise (laughs) Uh, let's uh, meet our uh, next couple of players. Bond bumps into this suspicious dude who's left him a message fogged up in his bathroom window, but he's cool. He, he's named uh, Luigi, and he's unfortunately not wearing green suspenders or played by John Leguizamo or, you know, shooting out fireballs or, or hanging around with a little Mario. mushroom dude, you know. <laughs> he's born in a mansion. Yeah, none of that stuff. But he's Luigi. And... uh He's set Bond up to meet with his contact, Aristotle Christatos, who I'm going to say, and let's put a pin in this discussion until later. Uh, uh, you know, you know, let's talk about it later. Um, we have to talk about this Olympic ice skater he's sponsoring named BB Doll. Yes. For my taste, this is such a random ass decision to do this entire side plot. Yes. Mm-hmm. Why? Like, what? I don't think I've ever been thinking to myself, or like, I would never write a Bond script and say to myself, you know what this could use? Tara Lipinski. (laughs) 
Now, I, Tanya, great film. You should check it out if you haven't seen it already. I definitely recommend it. It's better than this movie for sure. But who is like, we need uh, this subplot that has nothing to do with the movie about that. Okay. There's one reason why to have this in this movie. I wonder if you're going to say the same thing I say. And this is to demonstrate that Bond has limits. Yep. (laughs) Yep. This was so much fun to watch Bond. Like, no, no. Nope. (laughs) We're not doing... No. Well, okay. Her character's 19, I believe, in the movie. She was originally written to be 16. Okay, that's... what. So that's Again, that, that is legal in the UK. I just want to say that out there. That is completely legal in the UK. Incredibly creepy, but yeah. that's still legal in the UK. She's 31 years younger than Roger Moore. And she's supposed to be immediately so smitten with him on pure looks alone that she's got a crush the moment she's seen him. And she wants him to take her to the biathlon and whatever. The name to BB Doll. Like this this seems fetishy. And I just don't like it. And I don't hate the BB doll character. I hate why this is in the movie. And in a different story, I think you can get away with it. Like, again, if if this is like, say, Dalton, where he's younger and he's late 20s, then, okay, then it's believable. And he can still be like, you're a little young for me or whatever. And I think in a better script, she dies. Because then that would be like, oh, that's terrible. You killed the girl. Like, she would be the sacrificial lamb character, I would think. And instead, we get some of the stuff we're going to talk about later. <laughs> I, I would say that, again, it, it is unnecessary. I, I can't say it's too... I, I don't, I'm not particularly aggravated by it. I, I also feel like it's a bit f- over the top to suggest that she couldn't be attracted to Roger Moore, even at his age, because we do know that, yeah, well, there are who... yeah, there are people. And also, I imagine the people that Roger Moore was dating at the actual time, or like if he could have been dating at that point in time, would have been around about that age as well. Look at Jerry the King Lawler. <laughs> <laughs> He's not wrong. I mean... And now, Roger Moore is better looking than Jerry the King Lord. <laughs> Carol Bouquet, the one who plays Melina, is only a year and a half older than Lynn Holly Johnson, who plays BB Doll. Oh, it doesn't look it at all. So that's weird. So considerably older. Thankfully, she looks a little bit older. It still seems like there's a big age difference, but it's nowhere near as much of a, an obvious age difference as with BB. Uh, mm. I, I enjoyed this. I get what you're saying. But I enjoyed this because it was so much fun to watch Bond watch a young girl basically act the way he has in 12 (laughs) films and just be completely like, no, (laughs) you need to stop. There's a great sequence later. We'll get to it. Um, Christados is giving out some information. The guy who Locke works for is uh, Milos Colombo who is known as the Dove in the Greek underworld. He's involved in drugs and contract murder and white slavery, which I didn't know until I looked it up. Doesn't mean literally white people as slaves in like a 180 twist from what you would normally think of. Apparently white slavery at the time was a term that was a more PC way of saying the sex trade. 
because I guess somebody decided let's take these awful things and try to make them sound nicer for some fucking reason instead of just admitting the how terrible it is. I mean, that is a very brave trait. <laughs> and I don't know if white slavery sounds more fluffy than the sex trade. It just sounds like you're just enslaving people. It sounds... its They're all awful. <laughs> yeah, it's like... But, like, why would it be like, we can't say that it's sex trade. So we're going to say white slavery or whatever. That line struck me as weird. And then I was just like, I got to look this up and see what this is. And it's, yeah, that's what it means. Uh, Aris uh, doesn't shake Luigi's hand. (laughs) Kind of a bad sign for his character, right? Kind of a dick. And then we get this action sequence where Bond asks this florist, for some lilies a little bit later on when they're you know doing some stuff and uh i'll mention the fact that he's he spoiled melina in the town that's the reason right and and then there's that there's this underrated funny moment where he basically says to luigi i'll see you later and luigi just goes okay and then walks away yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's right (laughs) luigi i like luigi (laughs) he's just a sort of like he's just there this little sancho panza kind of guy like i'm luigi you know, because with that little reaction where he's like, Bond, uh, and he's like, Ferrara, he's James Bond, Luigi, <laughs> whatever, like, um, the florist for that thing was a woman who won a contest to be a Bond girl, sponsored by Playboy. She's not really a Bond girl, but like, we're not going to put her in the Bond girl thing, but pretty girl. And they were like, you know, you could be in the scene, whatever. And Bond asks for some lilies. They have this little action sequence that I, I'm not a huge fan of but the dude crashes through the window and i like that he's like uh, send the flowers to the funeral <laughs> that's the best line in the movie so far yep. yeah uh melina and bond start talking she he's like you know what are you doing here and she says i've got your telegram but bond didn't sit one uh, send one so he basically does the whole like sit down missy you're going home type of dad thing and it's somehow supposed to be romantic because they're on this horse and carriage ride. And the main theme plays and the driver's all like, ah, amore, amore. There's bad rear projection again. How, why do you need rear projection for something going so slow that isn't dangerous at all? You could film that. Maybe Moore was afraid of mooses. <laughs> Whatever it was. I think it was a horse. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Probably. <laughs> One of those moose I'm reindeer horses. Because of the ice thing, yeah. But, um, no, I, I, yeah, I, I can again. I can see the parental connotations to be taken out of this one. But... Really, I, I just looked at it as Bond being the same kind of misogynistic person he's always been. In the last one, he went a woman. I mean, like this <laughs> had the same vibes as a, yeah, a woman. I mean, I can see both ways. It's a case of like he is trying to just protect her, but you can take that as a parental vibe, mainly just due to the age difference between two actors involved. Mm-hmm. But. But yeah, you can play it as romantic as well if you just pretend that Moore is 20 years younger. Yeah, that's the age thing just keeps getting me in this movie. And that's an issue with, the, again, the casting just saying, no, no, we don't want, to, we can't do this guy anymore. He's just, he's just too old and they just can't bring themselves to say that yet. Hire Remington Steel. They tried they to. <laughs> that's what they should have done. Now, credit with the next movie, the main Bond woman is older. So it's more fitting. But then when we get to A View to a Kill, Roger Moore's 59 and uh, Tanya Roberts is like 20. 
or whatever. And it's just weird. And that's when he was like, I'm fucking done. I can't do this. We'll talk a little funny bit about that when we get to two movies from now. But Bond uh, is surprised with uh, BB walking out of the shower and she's naked in his bed and she wants Bond to, uh, you know, like, obviously, you know, credit to Bond for at least her. She's too young for him. And they have this back and forth, which admittedly, like it's, it's almost a joke in itself. Another like parody type of thing. Like this would be making fun of that. Roger Moore was too old. She says things like, he says, you're in training. And she says, well, sex builds muscle tone. <laughs> and uh, how about you build more muscle tone by putting on your clothes? And well, I don't think that, you know, Uncle Larry would approve. And she's like, eh, he still thinks I'm a virgin. And Bond says one of the better lines in the film. Yes, well, you get your clothes on and I'll buy you an ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> I found it more amazing in the entire sequence is that Bond's pointing a gun at her at one point because he just doesn't know who's in the shower and she just walks out casually with a gun pointing towards her and stuff like that. It's just like she doesn't know he's a spy. She's like, I want you to give me your shot. Um, <laughs> he's fine, uh, blanks, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the hope. So. She manages to pin him to the wall and kisses him. And she, uh, he says, "Don't you come up from air?" <laughs> and she, and she says, "Great breath control. That's why she'll win the gold medal." <laughs> it's a good scene, and it's it's made all the better by Bond actually refusing a woman. I I I love the line that com- that's coming up where um so Bond and BB head to the biathlete thing, the like, biathlon event, and they see the um, Eric the Kriegler. Guy. Yeah, Kriegler, yeah. Isn't and, he uh, beautiful? <laughs> and yeah, Bond so... snaps. Boy, you're really fickle, aren't you, baby? <laughs> yeah, so she's just attracted to anything, so that's fine. But I love the fact that he goes to leave, basically, because he's going to tail Kriegler, I assume. And because you must recognize him from an earlier sequence. And um, BB's like upset that he's going to go. And he says, um, he tells her not to grow up anymore because the opposite sex wouldn't survive. Yeah, <laughs> you're on the talk, James. You know, yeah. but it's it's great. That, that's one of the best lines the Bond has in this entire movie is him just refusing BB or just mm-hmm. just talking to her. It was fun. my favorite thing in the film because I thought it brought the most entertainment. So, despite Kriegler being in this biathlon, he just goes off to try to kill Bond, and there's this terrible music during this sequence where. It doesn't feel like Bond music in the slightest bit, and it's there's multiple levels of weird music, and some of it on its own I don't dislike, but it just seems weird. There's like this slamming on the piano, this like kind of it's all over the place. It's Bill Conti, it's not uh, John Barry. I got a feeling John Barry would have done a better job on this one. There's mu- weird music when he's trying to blend in with the skiers and everything. Uh. We've got to talk about how how do the Bond producers keep finding the most expert skiers in the history of mankind to appear in this movie? Like mm-hmm. a, a fucking ski sequence down a bobsled track. It's the most incredible. It's one of the most incredible things I've ever seen in a movie. Because <laughs> I don't I don't know how you do that. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, one of the people died. Oh, 
Well, cool. A 23-year-old stuntman died on the bobsled part. But it wasn't negligence from the stunt itself. It was the track that they didn't make. It was like a track that was already made, was poorly made. And some other point unrelated to the movie, somebody else died in the exact same spot on the track in some kind of competition. So it's like, it wasn't them being like, let's do this over the top stunt and fuck, we didn't plan that out. Well, it was just kind of like the location was shit. So yeah, somebody unfortunately died, but like some of the stuff's not bad. Like the ski sequence stuff is good. It's just got this terrible music that ruins it. It sounds more like a knockoff Sonic the Hedgehog level track than (laughs) anything that should be in a Bond sequence. And there's like, some of it's great and some of it's, pretty stupid to me i think that the whole idea that bond has to decide whether he wants to do the ski jump or and go right into where people could shoot him or turn around and get shot by lock it's just not something that i think works we also get the shot of the drinking uh guy with the wine the same reaction shot from the last two mm-hmm. movies but it's just quicker in this one yeah i mean i mean i'm a, I'm a big fan of the visuals of a lot of this side of it especially like the bobsled side of it I, th- I think the climbing up the ski lift and doing all like going down the jump is a little bit far-fetched but i i mean again that they do a lot of ski stunts in these movies so far it's, there's been at least three movies where they've done all this stuff and i'm I'm still pretty impressed by all of it mm-hmm. it's, they're, they're finding new ways of making that sequence interesting yeah on paper the stuff works great and the stunts great just yeah, you know, the music throws me off. One of the yeah, goons, by the way, is Charles Dance, right. an actor that's been in a whole bunch of different things. Uh, He's yeah, just like, like just like goon, you know. Uh, is a uh, Game of Thrones, I believe. He, I know that he was in like I can't the. What character he, is, but... he was in the most recent um, like Godzilla movies. Uh, yeah, it's like one of the main villain things in that. Um. He's a guy that's popped up in like a million things, and I'm, let me try to look up his thing because uh, yeah, he's the guy that's like us. Oh, Charles Dance. He's been in this and this and this and this and this, and uh, so he's been in Alien Three, Last Action Hero, uh, Gosford Park. He, plays, he funny enough, he plays Ian Fleming in a thing called uh, Golden Eye: The Secret of Ian Fleming. Yeah, the huh. secret life of Ian Fleming, should I say? But um. Yeah, so he's Game of Thrones. He's a Tywin Lannister. Yeah, he uh, he's going to be in the new Kingsman movie that's coming out in thirty years. When movies come out, and he was in uh, the TV show Mission Impossible at one point. Uh, like he's just one of those guys. Like uh, that, you'd be like, oh, I've seen that guy in something. You know, mm. this is his first movie. He's just guy tailing Bond. The whole thing with like Kriegler and the gun and uh, Kriegler picks up the motorcycle and tosses it. (laughs) So he is the second, I believe, super strong, tall, muscular, blonde haired German guy in a black skin tight outfit that we've seen. (laughs) I mean, I'm surprised there haven't been more. Oh, there is going to be another one. (laughs) There's going to be another exactly the same thing in Tomorrow Never Dies with Mr. Stamper. Because there's the dude in You Only Live Twice, the one that was uh, spinning the little pocket watch or whatever. Or the the key, I mean, not the pocket watch. 
So the bobsled thing's cool, but most of the sequence is just like, let's do this stunt and then that stunt and that stunt with weird music. And Kriegler is not a henchman that I rank particularly high. Nah, he's forgettable. But he doesn't mean do this whole film, like I've said, is largely meh, and he carries that trend. Yeah, not many people are going to be like, oh, the best Bond henchmen and villains, whatever. Be like, you know, uh, we've got like Oddjob and Jaws and Kriegler. Let <laughs> me bring some up. Then we get Bond asks BB for some info on Kriegler, and she says, <laughs> like, nothing really. Um, but she says that she could eat Bond up alive. And for whatever reason, we get a fight sequence with some hockey players. Yeah. Bond on ice. I mean, I mean we, we get him hitting a Zamboni, hitting one of them with Zamboni, and that's just funny. I mean, again, it's a hat trick. Way to, yeah. Well, yeah, it's yeah. way too over the top is the fact that every time one of them goes into the net, the buzzer goes off. Mm hmm. It's just like, yeah, it's over the top, but that one, if that was it on its own, I'd find that hilarious. But just, it's just a bit too much still. And it goes straight into something super serious because Luigi's dead. <laughs> it's like, you know, goofy, goofy action sequence. Oh, by the way, the, the main ally's dead now. And we won't be seeing him again because he ran out of one up. <laughs> he doesn't have any mushrooms. <laughs> Shame, that, um, shame Bond didn't have any mushrooms handy at that point. Yeah. <laughs> no. Cigarettes, maybe. <laughs> Do you uh, think he's one of the ghosts haunting the mansion? Maybe. He's, he's, he's haunting Luigi. <laughs> his uh, full name is Luigi Boo Ferrara. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> so we get some romance stuff. Nothing too big or important. It's My only Luigi. note. <laughs> my only note for this whole thing uh after this is on the marry fuck kill side of things melina is in the marry category because <laughs> it's like i like melina you know but um we get some banco banco sweevy wheat cart kind of action in like a casino yeah, yeah. <laughs> we need to learn how to play that against each other at some point we really do uh, Rob's checked out a video of, about explaining it, and uh, he sent it to me, and I still don't get it. <laughs> it's something like you try to get close to nine or eleven or you gotta something. Get nine. It's like if like in blackjack, you gotta get twenty-one. Here, you gotta hit nine. So then, what do like the face cards count as? I believe they count as a natural nine. So if you had like a, a jack and a king, you'd have eighteen or. Would that just be two nines or? I f I forget. I have to rewatch that video, but the goal is to get nine, and I really want to play it, especially against you guys, because I think it'd be fun. So if we uh if we figure that out, maybe we'll do some kind of like a an online, uh, like bonus features type thing or something where it'll be like us trying to play that, and we could be like cart. <laughs> Banco, sweetie. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm just checking it now. So um, the face cards have um, a zero value. So okay, they don't count. Jack, Queen, and King have no point value at all. So if you were to get a nine in one of those, that means that you Got get it. Okay. So that's like the best possible kind of thing, yeah. I guess. And aces yeah. are worth one point. 
Yeah, that makes sense. What about a Joker? <laughs> Uh, Imagine they're like, you throw the, yeah, or, they're not used. or the uh, the little card that says like you know the instructions for how to deal with. Her. <laughs> so Bond beats this guy at Chemendifer, so his mistress, the Countess, moves on to Colombo, and Bond gets to scope them out while eating some dinner. This is one of those things where it's like you know, well, I like this type of thing to eat with that, and this is a little too tart for my taste, or whatever he says. I forget. It's just quite a one of those things. I enjoy the snooty, random bullshit, just because that's Bond. Bond is class and not camp. In a series where he found out that the one guy's a villain because he had red wine with fish, it works. You know, The woman who plays the Countess, by the way, was at the time married to Pierce Brosnan. And this oh. is how they got wind of him. And they were like, you're a good looking dude. You could be a good Bond. <laughs> the more you know how 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 much of this is interwoven with each other and stuff like that it's just so so, so roger moore so, yeah so roger moore in this movie fake sleeps with pierce brosnan's wife yep <laughs> okay and then eventually Bro- brosnan will play the part of the same guy who had the same wife as moore and lazenby <laughs> I'm technically a uh, a Connery too. Yeah, I mean it's supposed to be the same character, so yeah. Like now he comes back after Lazenby, so yeah, true. Diamonds are forever. So there's this weird Eskimo cousin thing going on, I guess. And not just because they've had like each one of them's had some kind of an action sequence in the, the snow. <laughs> Columbo's smart. He's got their table rigged. And he hears their conversation. And Bond sleeps with the Countess, and Locke runs her over on the beach. None of this matters. In, like... Except... A whole lot, you know? This is the first part where I'm like, shoot him. Just (laughs) kill him. You all have guns. Just, there you go. It's over. Bond is dead. You can move on with your lives. No, that's not fun. Anything to add, Callum? Uh... Not not particularly. I mean, I, I imagine, yeah, if they do have guns, they can kill him. And so I, I don't know why they're leading him away, especially off the fact they just run down a woman. That's fine. But, uh, you know, everybody's expendable in these series. I, I'm, I mean, I'm more, I'm more like, I was more bewildered by the um, me nighty slipping. Yeah. Because apparently she's from Liverpool. Yeah, so is your accent. <laughs> The slipping accent thing. I don't like yeah. the Countess. I I think she's like it's kind of pointless. She's not she's fond of there. you either, pal. We don't really have. We don't. We, there's no femme fatale in this movie. Yeah. So, and she's one of those ones where it's like, oh, she's with Columbo, who are supposed to at this point believe is the main villain, and so she's going to be like this femme fatale character, but she actually doesn't care about Columbo or anything like that. She just. Just his mistress anyway, so they go around or whatever. But yeah, I mean, I, I find it a bit well, over the place. The fact that she just runs and she gets run down. I mean, I the death is quite memorable. Just getting just run down. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's a hell of a stunt for whoever took that. And uh, afterward, like they, Columbo's men save Bond. They abduct him, and we get to meet Columbo. So let's talk about him a little bit. Like most 
of the plot, like plot elements of this movie are very much inspired by Owner Majesty's Secret Service and the remakes of a lot of other stories. Because we got you know, the Lecter is basically in the the attack kind of form, and we got the a similar intro with the stealing something from a, a ship or whatever, as we've gotten from some other movies. Columbo was basically manufactured to be a spiritual successor to Karim Bay, but he's a much weaker knockoff. He's he's not an equal or an improvement. Karim Bay's better. Karim Bay is better, but I really like him. I still really like Columbo. He's one of the better characters because he's just yeah, got this charm to him. Yeah, it's like he knows that he's a bad guy. He knows he does all the smuggling and stuff like that, so he doesn't pretend to be anything he's not. But he knows that he's not the person that Bond is after. Yeah. He's he's bad, but he's not evil. Also, he's obsessed obsessed with pistachio nuts. Yeah, which I kind of <laughs> like as a character trait. I like that work. it comes back up a little bit later with the tossing in the the warehouse. They yeah. stomp on it and stuff. That was uh, Tuple's idea. That wasn't like yeah, in the script. Yeah, he's just he's resourceful. Do like uh, yeah, he's he seems like a useful guy. There was a bit in the commentary that I thought was funny where they were like, uh, Topol had this character trait that he wanted to do about eating this uh, pistachios, and he was eating them all the time just on the set, too. And, of course, he wanted pistachios because they're one of the more expensive nuts. <laughs> so they're like, so they're going like, damn it, dude, stop eating all of them. That's really uh, bumping up the budget of this movie. He says Cristados is the one that Bond's really after. He toasts that they're going to become friends, and he even gives Bond a gun. And Bond's like, you know, that's kind of kind of neat. Okay, we could be friends. <laughs> yeah. There's an action sequence in a warehouse. There's really nothing much going on there until you get to the end of it. Yeah, it's just... I mean, my first point for that one is how did the henchman not notice that this giant boat was approaching them until the very last minute? Yeah. I know it's the idea, oh, it's supposed to be in the pitch black, but we can see everything that's going on and you're not really doing anything to intimate that it's supposed to be pitch black. Like they, literally, the boat is right upside on the other side of their boat by the time one of the henchmen just waves and says, oh my God, we're being invaded by a boat that was approaching us at about two miles an hour yeah. about <laughs> 10 or 15 minutes ago. But... um. But yeah, the the actual, I mean, I like the fact that, like you say, the throwing the pistachio nuts, it seems like it's quite resourceful. Bond seems to figure out what's going to be happening. So he gets the men out of there before anything untoward can happen. So I, I kind of like that it was a pretty resourceful gunfight as opposed to just like shooting one side or the other constantly. Like they were finding ways to get rid of the uh, henchmen in more inventive ways, like pushing the heroin bar- barrels over them and stuff like that. Yeah, it's just kind of one of those things that's, once you get to the pistachio thing, then you can skip the whole rest of it until you get to the very, very end, because nobody will remember any of the, like, the the other parts. But the part with the car, it's pretty good. Locke is in his car, he's teetering over the cliff. Bond uh, tosses him the dove pendant that he left on Luigi, he says, you know, I think that this is yours, this is for uh, Luigi, whatever, and the Countess. And he kicks the car over. And Locke, of course, falls. Bond has the quip. Uh, he had no head for heights. What does that mean? I have no idea what that means. So yeah, I'm glad that you said I know, that. Cause... I, know it, I, know it's a, I know it's a phrase. I just don't know what context it's got in this. Because I know it's like, oh, he just fell down a cliff. Well, think about he it. Might as well, he might as well have said Geronimo or something like that. Or just, just something that involves around 
just just anything revolving around heights. I guess that's the only thing that they could think of at the time, which has the word heights in it. That's kind of like, you know, he didn't have the stomach for it, but you can't do that because it doesn't work with that. So I guess that they were just good enough kind of thing. That's always the worst. Should do better than good enough. They should have figured out some way of doing it where his death rolled around being locked up somewhere. Yeah. He's his lock. So, that, like... so uh, Moore originally didn't like this. He had suggested, why don't they have it to where he throws the dove pendant and that's just enough to make the car fall? And he's like, that's a little too harsh for Bond to kick the car. And I think it was the director was just sort of like, you're Bond, dude. Like, Bond killed your uh, your partner and the Countess. He ran, uh, uh, Locke killed uh, those two people. You want to kill this guy? Like, yeah, it might be a little bit, like, too, if you want to be, like, the super silly and not too serious type of thing. But, like, remember where you came from. This is a Bond series. Let's have him be Bond a little bit. He's a fucking killer and a assassin and a spy and all these other kind of things working together. So they did like the one idea and they did the other idea and Roger Moore was like, yeah, okay, you're right. That's better. So I'm glad that they did that. Cause I like that. He kicks the car instead of just, I like that. The, the typical, more... like the little bit does the end. Cause that's a trope. That's like, we've seen it a million times. I like that Moore is very, no, I want to be a, a lighthearted guy. You know, like I don't want to be slapping women and kicking cars over. <laughs> well, I'm a nice yeah, I mean, guy. Yeah, I mean, for the sake of the movie, I'm glad that he did it, but it does endear me to more that he didn't want to. I like that he does that stuff when it comes to, like, the women and everything, but eventually when it comes to this, it's like, dude, you're killing an assassin. You can do it. <laughs> and eventually... You know, we're gonna get Dalton, and Dalton's just sort of like, you know, switch the bloody machine off, and like, yeah, kind of thing. And it's, it's very much more like the the Sean Connery side of things. Dalton is very the world is evil, and I'm gonna show it. Yeah, piss off, and you're full of shit. <laughs> and Craig, same kind of thing. Brosnan's more like, why don't we like, you know, smooth our way over in this situation? And Craig's like, I'm gonna bust through a wall. So we get some underwater stuff. Which isn't really actually underwater for any of the close-ups of Melina. She had a sinus issue that prevented her from being able to go underwater. So all of her shots are simulated, which I think is pretty damn impressive. Because I've yeah, never been never able to tell that. that. Yeah, I never would have yeah. guessed it. That's crazy. They did some weird thing with like an air bubble tank and uh, fans. And they were just like, this will work. And it, it fucking does. Like, I don't know how they pulled that off. Also, did the producers not consider the fact that a lot of this movie was team taking place underwater, yeah. and yet they cast as the main Bond girl someone who couldn't go underwater? Right. They're like, oh, look at her eyes. You know? <laughs> I forgot uh, to mention uh, that she's dubbed, too. Yeah, she is clearly dubbed. That, not that by, was more obvious to tell. Not by Nicky Vanderzell, unfortunately. But, um, yeah, it's... Uh, I think she might be the last Bond girl that's dubbed. If I remember correctly. Oh, that's history. Because Octopussy isn't, but there might be like uh, one of the characters in like Octopussy or something. Like Mayday's not dubbed and Evitable Kill and yeah. So I need to talk about this because 
This is something that I like as a callback, but it makes no sense. Is that uh, what? So before they're they're just excavating down the water, down by the ruins. Um, Melina decides for no real apparent reason to leave a scuba set yeah. on the seabed before swimming just straight back up to the surface. Now it comes, it plays back into like some circumstances later in the movie, which I guess is like, oh my god, they did leave it there. That's quite clever that they came back to it. But my issue with it is she has no idea that's going to happen. Right. There's no reason for it to happen other than to save them in the future. Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, she, so either she's got incredible foresight, like she's solitaire <laughs> and she has been fucked by Bonjet, so she's got the powers. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I, I just, I don't see the logic behind doing that in, in the circumstances they did it. So, but I guess at least they play back to it eventually. There's a ding on that. There's a, <laughs> they go looking for the ship. And we get a shark jump scare, so there's more sharks in the series. Yeah. Sharks. And Bond had just said, only speak when necessary, but he goes, I hope he was dining alone. So it's important to get the joke out. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's always necessary. I get it. That's you in a nutshell. (laughs) Uh, Isn't Columbo more of the one with the nutshell? (laughs) Oh, Jesus. I'm thinking more of the Columbo. It's just like, I'm just assuming it was like, just one more thing, Bond, before. <laughs> <laughs> but he's like, don't speak unless you really have to. Hey, this is kind of funny. <laughs> it's like, uh, they recover the attack, they disarm the bomb, but Christatus is watching. He's just waiting for them to disarm it, which I think is pretty, like, dumb and boring. We get some more jump scares. We get a slow fight sequence with this guy wearing this diving equipment that bomb, uh, Bond straps a bomb to. I like that sequence. I don't like all the underwater crap. The slow fighting was very weird. It makes sense that it's slow fighting. They're underwater. Of course they're slow fighting. I, I know, but it's, it looked funny. I just like the fact that this guy bursts in like the... Um, <laughs> uh, the... Oh, oh, it's the Kool Aid Man. Yeah, the Kool Aid yeah. Man just like, bursts into the bursts into the room and starts fighting. He like he cuts Bond at some point by clipping him with his giant clippy hands. Like he's trying to steal the thing, and they use a thermite charge to blow him up at the end of it. I like the fact that they like they had Melina's um, airline severed at one point, so she had to just get out of the sit to get out of that circumstance. Bond was at one point trapped underneath like this heavy thing, and you just assume that he. Obviously, you know he's going to get out of it because he's Bond, but like you feel a little bit of jeopardy in that in that moment there. So, yeah, I just thought it was a really well done sequence. I um, I'm not big on a lot of the underwater stuff in this series, for the most part. I mentioned that about Thunderball, and actually, you know what? I'm I'm planking on like the next one that we get some underwater stuff. Um, it's um. Uh, from Russia with Love. No, I mean the next one. No, the next one. Oh, the next uh, one after this. Oh, uh, okay. I don't think we really get any underwater sequences in any of the future films. We get like we get, boat we get chases. Out of the water in that. In that. Yeah. <laughs> I can't. Yeah, I think can't think of. I don't think that they've done another like underwater sequence. Sequence. They've had like some okay. moments here and there. There's like some moments in Tomorrow Never Dies, and there's some moments in um. There's like a brief moment in the world's not enough and everything, but yeah, in Casino Royale they have at least one little sequence underwater. 
But they don't go to like a full action sequence, I think, if I'm remembering correctly at the very least. Probably blanking on something. But the uh, there's a section to this that's from a book. Uh, I think it's either Thunderball or Live and Let Die. It might be Live and Let Die. That's repurposed for this, which is the whole idea that Christados captures them, ties them up, and drags them across the coral reef. That was just mm. in another book, and they were like, let's just do it for that one. That's what they should be doing, I think. Yeah. I can choose elements from the other movies and the other books and, you know, slap them in there. I, I love the line where Melina says, like, what, where are the men I left on board? And he just replies, well, you'll soon be joining them. Yeah. Kind of nice and callous. It's an interesting torture idea. It's just not all that thrilling to me. I mean, I appreciate the fact that he's actually trying to kill them, that he's doing it in the quote-unquote entertaining way. So it's not like he's he's doing that just to... Well, he's doing it to be a dick, obviously, but he's not doing it just to toy around with Bond a little bit too much. He's actually trying to kill him, but he's trying to do it in a in a way that makes a statement. Because it's like, yeah, get his back cut up with the coral reef stuff, having been chased down by sharks and eaten... One thing I don't make sense about it is obviously he gets out of the situation by tying it around a rock and the flotation device goes back and knocks a guy into the water. A guy who's completely uncut and unharmed and the shark's side, yeah, I'm going to eat him instead. Yeah, they just conveniently ignore the people that are bleeding. Now they're ready. They're ready. (laughs) He's closer and they're going to eat him. (laughs) It's, again, it's like on paper it works better than I think in the movie. I like how the shark went for the crotch first. (laughs) Like, uh, it's just a little thing. Like, it's kind of like when you bite the tip of the pizza. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Max the Parrot ends up repeating some key information here, uh, where the ATAC's going to be dropped off. See, he's an important plot device. Why do you not have him listed as yeah. one of the allies? He is an ally. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll give him some uh, some nuts. There's a lot of nuts in this movie. Think about it. One of them just got bitten off. <laughs> yeah, there's one in there's one one of the girls in the uh, opening sequence, obviously. <laughs> there's that. There's uh, pistachios. There's nuts all over the place. <laughs> uh, let's talk about the monastery. Bond heads to a church confessional, and he says, "Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned." And Q says, "That's putting it mildly, 007. <laughs> That might be my favorite line of the film. That's maybe my favorite part of the entire film. I love that little bit. He's great. He was so good. And I mean, we're 12 films into this. He hasn't been a part of two of them. But for 10 movies, we've gotten to know Desmond Llewellyn's Q. And he's just gotten better and better and better. He's such a fun, like, lovable old grandpa type of character. And he's he's one of the gems of this series. And he just keeps getting better, too. Like, by the time we get to Goldeneye, ah, love him. But I like that little bit, though. That's putting it mildly. <laughs> You've done a lot of shit, Bond. Come on. Bond, Molina, Columbo, and some of his men are going to this drop-off point, this abandoned monastery on top of a cliff that Columbo's like, I've been looking into this, too. It's a pretty good uh, spot for doing some of these kind of smuggling things. And Bond does some rock climbing. It's kind of an extended sequence here. A little too long. We even get another jump scare with these this dove that pops out. It's like a like a John Woo film, you know. Just can put a random dove. I'm not big on the rock climbing. I mean, I like again. I like the jeopardy of it to a degree because like he goes off and I first of all I have no idea how he climbs back up. 
I don't know how that works about him tying his shoelaces around it and that creates some sort of pulley system that he can move himself up with. I assume there is some logic behind it. I have no idea how it works, like physically. Yeah, no idea. It's some kind of specific knot that they might have even like invented it for this or something. I don't know. Yeah, and I, I will agree this sequence goes on too long. But I do like the, the idea that like he's ca- this henchman is casually, well, not casually, but he's like he's gradually getting towards knocking off this final thing, which will send Bond plummeting to his death. And just before he can knock off the final one, Bond is able to get there, throw this knife in his chest. Like for, and then we get another one of these great scenes of the guy just falling down a cliff. Yeah. You get a nice wide shot of it, which I just adore. And he lands, and Melina says, James, because she has no idea who fell down and finally sees it. I mean, you probably would tell because he's about like thirty years younger than Bond. <laughs> yeah, he's got all black hair, you know, not yeah. wearing any of the same clothes. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I I, I like it. I, it. Again, it goes on too long, but I, I'm I kind of enjoy it. Uh, for some reason, BB and her trainer are there. <laughs> he's still sponsoring her. But like, he brought her to the drop-off spot, and she didn't just like stay in town. He's taken her to Cuba for more training. Yeah, I mean, Cuba. She basically, says, she basically says the idea that, like, apparently he's just desperate to sleep with her. Yeah, she's like, "You're too old for me. I know what you want." Like, 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 he, like he's yeah, he's the one that. First of all, she says she's too old for him, which is rich. And then, considering what you wanted to do with Bond earlier, considering Roger Moore's ten years older than Julian yeah, Glover, exactly. <laughs> but the, but there's also the idea that like he's the only man that she won't sleep with. Yeah, basically. <laughs> And Julian Glover's not a bad-looking dude, and he's fucking rich, so it's like, yeah. Yeah, it seems like she's going to be totally enamored with doing it with Columbo later on, as we say in the movie as well. Yeah. Isn't it just uh, the good depiction of being fickle, where it's like, (laughs) all right, you're right right there, everybody, but here's the one that's clearly after you, and you're like, nah. Even that plot element, though, is just sort of like, again, why are we dealing with this? Why... Why do we have to have a subplot that the villain's sponsoring an ice skater and that she doesn't want to fuck him? Like, because women have libidos too, and it's nineteen eighty one, and we're gonna be equal. I, I guess it's just the idea that that's something that was causing him to be somewhat distracted is the only real argument I can say at this point. Just a weird thing, and BB and Brink are leaving. Fight I sequence Brink was a villain the entire right. Yeah, they, like, they kind of she was gonna, you know. Turn on BB, but now that didn't happen. They kind of set her up as being like this cold-hearted bitch, and then it turns out that she is actually really like looking out for her, and she's just one of those hard, tough teacher kind of types. But we get on the gold. The, but he says something about I've watched your she did bring the ice gold, skating I before. I think. Yeah. I think that the fight sequence is t- entirely forgettable again. I don't even know how a Kriegler dies. I, I didn't even write it down in my notes. And I've, watched the, I've watched the yes. movie four times this week. So, so, so Kriegler gets distracted by right. us trying to run away with the ATAC. And so Bond is able to use this opportunity to knock him through a window and off the cliff. And yeah. Another shot of the guy falling down. <laughs> the dummy flopping. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Which makes him really stupid because he's like a cyborg practically. But he sees the guy leaving without him and just, oh no, out the window. Well, maybe gets her one useful thing in this is that she briefly distracts Kriegler so one can get a few shots in. So BB's useful in that regard. For a guy that's uh, like an amazing athlete that can ski like crazy and can pick up a fucking motorcycle and chuck it, 
He dies by Bond just pushing him out a window and him being like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> kind of like, uh, Mr. Bond. Yeah. Mr. Bond. Nobody would look at this and it's seamless to you. <laughs> it's, just, it's just those boy athletes. They're just very easily distracted. The problem is he's not a triathlete. If they would have gone on the, uh, you know, don't roll off of a roof scenario. <laughs> Could have trained. And we get like Columbo and Cristados just fumbling over the ATAC. It's it's not great. I, I like the little fight. I like the fight, actually. I, I like the fact that Columbo's involved in this. So like, I, I know, obviously, it's Bond's movie. But I like the fact that some of the allies are actually doing stuff in this. Like, Melina's shooting people with her crossbow and... Columbo's getting involved in the fight sequences. He's fighting the henchmen. He's fighting, um, he's fighting Christatus. It's just like, yeah, I, I like the fact that they're showing a bit of initiative in these movies. Well, at this point, Melina's killed. Like, she's wait, she killed uh, Gonzalez, yeah. and I guess technically she didn't kill like the one dude because like they were like patching him up and whatever. Mm. But Bond tries to stop Melina from killing Christatus, and. Before she gets a chance to make that decision or not, Columbo kills him. <laughs> Which I yeah, like. Fine. Uh, but again, Bond, I watched you, you know, tie a bomb to a guy's nuts and <laughs> chuck him off a boat. Like, why do you suddenly have morals? What the fuck? Well, to be fair, that wasn't in the name of revenge. No, that was just and for all- fun. Uh, <laughs> and, and also, like, he's in this world. But she, as I said earlier, she's not part of this world. And he feels like that would set her on a dangerous path. What the f- has he not seen her taking people out with the crossbow? He knows, that, he knows that she's very, very resourceful. And again, she will do that sort of thing. But I guess it's the idea that if she takes revenge, then she's going to re- actually just end up regretting it. Whereas he's a cold hide bastard, so he doesn't care who he kills. He needs to let her settle things in the gypsy way. In the <laughs> So rather than hand the ATAC over to Gogol, because uh, Gogol pops up, he's in the helicopter, and he's just sort of like, you know, hand it to me. Bond tosses it away, and it shatters. And there's this only like a split second that Gogol is pissed. And uh, the guy that's with him almost goes to shoot Bond, and he's like, yeah, like, just like, no, no, don't do that. And they watch it explode. And Bond goes, that's detente, comrade. You don't have it. I don't have it. And then... Maybe my favorite part of the entire film. Almost definitely my favorite part of the film. Google laughs it off, and he does this hand motion like, Ah, James, I love this guy. What a bastard. All right, well, <laughs> see you later. <laughs> I love that. He's just like, uh, this, this fucking guy. All right. Well, adios. <laughs> it's just like, it's great. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty fun. <laughs> Gogol is just like, I mean, we see him again in Octopussy. He's a bigger part of Octopussy, actually. And we see him again in um, in A View to a Kill, and we see him again in The Living Daylights. Like, I fucking love Gogol. The fact that he's, yeah, don't kill Bond. Like, we're not going to kill the other agent or whatever. Bond's a cool guy. Like, uh, my boy. <laughs> like, you know. So tell me again about how you fucked Triple uh, X, huh? <laughs> oh, and Columbo is going to be Baby's new sponsor. That's creepy because he winks. Like, I'm going to fuck her. <laughs> it's like... Look, but she is 
a sexually active person. It is what it is. Like, just cute. Yeah, it's, you know, it's creepy, like, but it's creepy. Degree, but like, you know, I I wouldn't lose sleep over it. She wouldn't let you. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and then they do this comedy bit at the, again at the end. Like we've been getting into this trope where. The beginning of the movie is the whole, like, you know, they didn't quite do it in this one, but the whole beginning is, like, something gets stolen, and then it's where's Bond, and then we go with whatever, and then at the end of the movie, we got to do the whole Bond is sleeping with the girl, and there's some kind of M or Q or whoever is a part of this, like, we need to talk to Bond and whatever. And this time, it's awful. I like the previous two ones. I like The Spy Who Loved Me with the keeping the British end up. I love the Moonraker fucking um attempting re-entry attempting re-entry that's a fucking brilliant but this one i hate is it only because this is why you hate the bird tony no actually the bird isn't even the part that i hate about it it's the margaret thatcher impersonator the whole like oh ho, ho, mr bond whatever and the, yes. give us a kiss and oh mr bond oh, like, oh god it's terrible so so that's um janet brown who was a a very well-known, I'd say, in the British scene of things, very well-known Margaret Thatcher impersonator early on in Margaret Thatcher's tenure as um, Prime Minister. It's interesting that she's the one who's, like, portrayed as the... As she's. I think she's the only Prime Minister that appears in this, one way or another. Obviously not really her, but right. the only one that's demonstrated to be actually her. And... You you have Dennis in it as well, which is just ridiculous. Like have a husband in it, and then obviously they give it give us a kiss thing, and she. I just love the idea that wow, this is this is Brit legitimately this is Britain's first female prime minister, and you made her out to be a a like a um as like as almost adult like a heart goes all flat like a school like a heart goes flat like a schoolgirl. When Bond decides that he wants to run a bird, on the parrot, yeah, the parrot tries to tries it on with her. <laughs> just like again, it's just and don't get me wrong, there is a huge contingent of people, particularly of my like parents' generation, who absolutely detest that woman. She <laughs> is like she is like to a certain subsection of like the well, certain section of the of uh, the generation above me. She is. Like, I, I don't want to say like the, the absolute worst people in the world, but she is like absolutely loathed. Like, mm. and so they would love the fact that she's getting parodied and mocked the hell out of at the end of this movie. <laughs> people are like standing up in the theaters going, Yeah, fuck her. <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Look, she's getting fooled by a bird. That, that, that fucking twit. <laughs> Dumbass. <laughs> Of, of, throwing things at the screen. <laughs> I think. I think at this. I think at this point. I'm just. I'm just trying to actually um, double check quickly about um, when her actual uh, reign and reign of terror was. <laughs> uh, so, so she was prime minister from '75. Oh, no, that's the Liberal opposition actually. Prime minister from '79 to 1990. So she'd only been prime minister for two years at this point. Oh, even better. They were probably like so. She was she was fairly popular at this point. Still, it wasn't until she started uh, taking milk from people, taking milk away from her uh, kids' lunches, and uh, causing a lot of coal miners to strike and stuff like that, where she got really hated. 
You gotta explain this milk thing now. <laughs> right, yeah. Oh, well, her nick. Well, one of the nicknames the people that were in opposition to her, her nickname was Margaret Thatcher Milk Snatcher. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and that was because essentially um, there was a system where in the UK education system kids would get free milk as part of their lunch times from the age of <laughs> seven to eleven, and she abolished that. Mm. Why? Because she was an evil bitch. <laughs> it's kind of. <laughs> That was when she was the education secretary. Oh, well, maybe uh, they should have had uh, Dennis taking some milk instead of a Brussels sprout. Mm. Which, yeah, that's in the commentary. I forget who it was. One of the producers or somebody was just like, I put that in there because I like snatching Brussels sprouts when my wife is cooking. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> Brussels sprouts? It's not even like you're 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 eating one of the cookies before it's done cooling. You or like a fry or something. Like yeah, that. you're going to grab a fry real quick. Or, you know, I, I grabbed a... You know, I don't know anything that would have been normal. You know, I, I chunked off a little piece of the topping of like a cake, like a little, you know, there's a cherry on top and I ate that. You pick out Brussels sprouts, mm. <laughs> raw Brussels sprouts. What the fuck? But, but like, the thing about her is like, that's so outside of this parody of her. It's the fact that again, she acts so flirtatiously when she's what well, another one of her nicknames is the iron lady. Like she was as fierce and combative and aggressive a, a political leader you can possibly get in a country which still proclaims to be a democracy. <laughs> so that's like, I mean, if she could have taken over the world, she would have done. Hmm. But it's it just so, give me all the milk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She wants all the milk. <laughs> like she, she was like, yeah, she was incredibly aggressive. Like she was the, like, like I guess the the typification of conservative Britain. Like that's that's who they look to. That's who the current regime that runs this fucking country look to as like their 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 patron saint. Ah, so that's. I also love the one blame. point. I also love the one point she was put into the House of Lords, and so her name was Lady Thatcher, which sounds like the um the female equivalent of Manscaped. <laughs> and that's like that's their big gag at the end yeah. is the parrot and whatever, and it's. Again, with the age thing, it's a little bit awkward to me when they're going to go skinny, skinny dipping and uh, you got like, you know, the beautiful Carl Bouquet saying, you know, for your eyes only, darling. And, like, it's kind of just like, oh, <laughs> I want to make sure like, Roger Moore fucking her in the water and, you know, that's that's the end. And we get like, you know, uh, people floating around in the ocean with the credits. Mm-hmm. It's it's not. I don't like it. <laughs> no, no, I can uh, I can understand it. I rank it in between on Her Majesty's Secret Service and uh, Service and Diamonds Are Forever. It's better than Diamonds Are Forever because Diamonds Are Forever is just fucking stupid. But even though I don't personally like Secret Service all that much, it's a way better movie. Yeah. Look, I'm firmly in the camp of, I think Connery is a better Bond than Moore. And as much as I've liked, you know, Moonraker was fun. And I have fun with these. I, a lot of these movies are going to end up being like, meh at best. So where does this rank for you? I'm looking at your uh, rankings right now. So for me, this is 
definitely going to be underneath on Her Majesty's Secret Service because I actually like that movie quite a lot. Yeah, you've got that and, at number five. Yeah, like that's my dead middle ground. And I'll probably put this film... Ah, uh, right. I'll put it uh, between You Only Live Twice and Diamonds. Callum, you've got it somewhere around the middle range or so? Yeah, yeah so I have it currently ranked. What's that be? That'll be eighth. Them. So it's ahead of Dr. No from Russia with Love, Diamonds are Forever, and You Only Live Twice. I will say, though, I only dislike three of those movies, so it's still, it would obviously say at the end of it, but it's still a, a net positive for me, even if it is that low down. The cutoff for me is You Only Live Twice, and I've got Dr. No, Secret Service, For Your Eyes Only, and Diamonds are Forever, the ones underneath that. Like, I can watch You Only Live Twice, and it's dumb, but I like it more just because it's like an easier watch and everything. And there's, you know, I mean, there's parts of it that just make me crack the fuck up, like the whole stupid bathing scene and whatever. Um, but Dr. No is hard to watch secret service. If you, it's so potentially good. I just, I don't like it. And then for your eyes only is like, if you take the parts that I don't like about on her Majesty's secret service and you make that half the film, and then you make the other half of the film, the Diamonds Are Forever parts, kind of. So that's where it goes low for me. Let's talk about some of the other things uh, that we go around here. Let's talk about the allies. We've got no M this time, unfortunately, but we got Bill Tanner. Fuck Bill Tanner. <laughs> yeah, he sucks. <laughs> Same yeah. uh, thumb down. Yeah, he's back right. Unfortunately, a thumb down for Money Penny for me on this one. She's very lit. She she just isn't in it for very long, and it's not like her scene is particularly memorable. Yeah. Yeah, she like I'm never gonna say thumbs down on her, but these appearances have gotten weaker and weaker. Q though, thumbs up. Oh, he's always thumbs up. Oh yeah. Not only does he have the whole, you know, that's putting it mildly 007 thing, but like even in the identograph scene, which isn't good, he is at least he's present. So like him, big thumbs up on General Gogol. He's not really an ally in this, but he kind of is kind of isn't sort of gray area. He's more of an antagonist, really. He's kind of like he's yeah. there to he's there to steal something of the British for his own usage. Just it's the Cold War still going on, so it's understandable. Definitely not an ally. Somebody who's definitely in the gray area is Sir Frederick Gray, because that's his name. Uh-huh. I do like Sir Frederick Gray, though, and I think that he plays a better M in this one, even though he's not M. It's just, I like him. I like that character. Yeah, I don't, I'm not a big fan of either of them. I like Luigi. He was he's, fun. He's not super, super memorable, but I like him. He doesn't do anything. But he's fun. Uh, it's I'm, just I'm, I'm, Luigi. I put a thumb down for that. Thumbs up for Columbo. Absolutely. Yeah, he does the right thing and kills the fucking guy at the end. Yeah, and doesn't just go like, "Well, we're gonna, you know, saddle you with this weird gimmick and whatever." He's just like, "Nope, knife to the back, you're dead." Now I'm gonna take your girl. <laughs> Villain side of things. Thumbs up for Max. Ah, <laughs> fuck Max. <laughs> Absolutely thumbs up, Max. I don't know why you're against a bird. It's a bird, Tony. 
Have some. Yeah, he's not a kid. Why do you not? not like... <laughs> I mean, yeah, have some sense, Tony. <laughs> Thumbs down for Max. They should have. Uh, I don't know. Max should have been one of the sacrificial. <laughs> should have been the sacrificial bird. <laughs> On the villain side, we've got uh, Kriegler. I think thumbs down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not great. Gonzalez, thumbs we down. Need less Krieglers and more knickknacks, okay? Yeah. I go thumbs yeah. down on Gonzalez. Uh-huh. Yeah. I go, I go thumbs down on Locke, although not as much, because at least he's got a little bit of a presence to him. But he's, he doesn't say a single word in the entire movie. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say mostly thumbs down. I'm leaning a bit more towards the middle, but still not great. Yeah, thumbs down. I go thumbs down on Cristados too. He was he, good. He's one of the weak. He's one of the weak ones. I don't think I he's as weak. High, but he's he's good. I, I I mean I like he's he's one of those inert villains, in that he can't actually do anything himself to Bond. Mm-hmm. So he kind of relies on his henchmen, and the fact that his henchmen are actually pretty shitty means that he can't be super high for me. Like he is a character that works as a side character more than the main villain, I think. I, I do appreciate the fact that it was a bait and switch. Yeah, that's Cause... that's something we haven't really seen in the Bond movie so far. That the this we, we, Bond is getting close to the the actual villain, thinking he's an ally, and then you find out he's the villain later on. They they don't really do that too much. It's not until like halfway into the movie before you find out that he's the villain. Yeah, I think that's one of the most redeeming qualities in the entire movie for me on the girls side of things i think thumbs down for the countess uh she's low down on my rankings yeah so I'd, i guess she'd be in the fun down category yeah sacrificial lamb i have yeah. her ranked between the log cabin girl <laughs> and dolly oh i'm i'm, I'm nowhere near as low as that i have her between uh, Helga Brandt and Patricia Fiore. She has lines. I didn't do her yet, but uh, you know she'll be somewhere mid to low range. You didn't do her yet, but Brosnan did, and Moore did. <laughs> if only. Countess Liesel von Schlaff. It's very uh. What that's that's a memorable name. Oh, the actress' character's name. No, the character's name. Oh yeah, because it's from Liverpool. She's clearly not Liesel von Schlaff. <laughs> Or he, like uh, Lisa, Lisa, uh, Lisa Slate or something. Slate's like a very common name. Um, well, no, I was just going off the slap thing. I ah. think it was like similar to it. How do you guys feel about BB? Because I, I'm of two opinions about BB. She is on the lower mid range for me right now because her character I like. I just don't like that her character exists in this movie, kind of. I think she's she's just she's fun. She's she's completely like you say, she there's no reason for her to be there. But if she is there, then she does the role well enough. Yeah, I I wasn't as down on her as uh you were, Tony. I I think she's fine. You know, the role she played, she played very well. And it all works out for her in the end. I can't really say anything negative happened here. Molina, I do like more than a lot of other people. I do have her as currently my number 21, though, because 
I think that like there's more to a character like Andrea Anders than Melina, but she's not bad. She's not in the in a, in a bad range. She's just kind of forgettable for me. Yeah, I liked her. She was. Uh, I thought she was competent. I thought she actually added to the story and to the mission, unlike Tiffany Case, who sucked. And I would like to see more Bond girls take this approach. Yeah, if you, um, I, I have her quite highly ranked just because I feel like she was a. Again, she wasn't the most charismatic, but she did have a presence throughout the movie. She did have a backstory. She did get involved in a lot of things. She was clearly capable on her own. So I feel like, in terms of, outside of if you discount the money penny, obviously, because she's going to be consistently in all the movies, pretty much, um, I have a ranked six of the one off Bond girls. Yeah, I didn't rank her yet, but she'll be high up. Uh... Let me look at our list real quick, and uh, she will definitely be higher up on the list. So yeah, like yeah, I'd I'd put her above Tracy actually. She'll be uh, under Domino and Goodhead, but I'd put her above Tracy. And you know what? No, I think that like I'd put her above Goodhead too because she did more than Goodhead. Hmm. Look at that, Melina uh, gets some love. No, it's, yeah, it's good. like the last three. Bond girls, actually, major Bond girls, Anya, Holly, and Melina have all been really high up for me, just because I appreciate how they've been more, they've been given more character they're not, and they're position not just better. They're not there for Bond to rescue and sleep with. Yeah. So you guys are gonna love Stacy. <laughs> I, I I know that this is not gonna <laughs> this isn't gonna go super well in the future. Yeah. Once we get to a view to a kill, that's the James. Don't leave me. <laughs> on the gadgets we got quite a bit for a movie that doesn't want you to remember that there's gadgets they're all kind of like little jokes though there's the car that explodes so we don't get to see it do anything except for explode there's the plaster arm cast and the claw umbrella uh, the identigraph the ATAC isn't really a gadget. A lot of people classify it as that. I don't It's not a cute branch gadget or anything. And we got that communication wristwatch that's only used for the parrot joke. <laughs> Thumbs down. Yeah. Yeah, nothing really memorable from that. But that's what they wanted. Well, they didn't want they it won't. to be not memorable. They just they didn't want to be like, they oh, look at our it. wacky stuff. Instead, we're going to have the parrot talk. <laughs> Is music, I already guess. said, I hate the music in this, for the most part. Background music was fine. I was not big on For Your Eyes Only, but I guess I'm in the minority there. Yeah, I mean, I can't say too much again, because I don't really concentrate on that too much about the, um, not outside of the main theme music, but I liked how that was woven into certain sections of the movie. I'd pick that one out, and I don't have too much issue with the other music. For me, it's all just background noise. On the uh, action and humor side of things, what are you guys thinking? Humor is an absolute thumbs up for me. I think think some of the lines are pretty weak in this one in comparison to the previous few movies. I just don't think they... I don't want to say like they didn't try as hard, but they just didn't come up with as great stuff this time around. And the humor's a bit more base in certain parts. 
So I don't know if I'd give it a thumbs down, but it's a really it'd be a really weak thumbs up if that was the case. The Blowfield scene in the opening was fantastic. <laughs> Everything he did with BB was fantastic. This gets a thumbs up from on humor from me. Action. Mm. Action's less so. I mean, I, I I like the underwater fighting scene. I know I'm in the minority when I say that one, but other than that, I mean, I love the skiing sequences, but I've always loved skiing sequences in Bond movies. And yeah, outside of that, it's really nothing too much else. So those two, those two, I think, are almost enough to give it a thumbs up for me. But it's it's again, they're far better examples in the franchise. Two thumbs down for me on both. There's a couple funny lines. There's a couple good little action pieces. So is this a, is this a thumbs down movie for you? All, this is, all around. Shaken, not stirred. This is stirred. Re- huh. I would put it shaken. It's not greatly shaken, but it's shaken. Yeah, it's like one of those really weak shakes that you do with one hand. It's like um, when someone's doing an ASMR bartender scene where they don't want to shake it super hard because then it makes too much noise. <laughs> that, that type of one. Full blown stirred for me. Uh, I really, I went into this movie same as I went into the ones. Like, I know for a fact that some of these, I've seen them a million times and I love them. Like, when we get to Goldeneye, that's going to be a fucking like five hour podcast because I'm just going to be like, there's this one yeah, part where this. On, like, <laughs> right. It, I'm going to be like, the sound that this makes when this thing, does, it's so good and whatever. Like, you know, I'm going to go nuts about like a lot of things in License to Kill that I really love and whatever. But when I've gone into the ones like Dr. No and uh, On Her Majesty's Secret Service and Diamonds Are Forever and this one, those are collectively like the four that I've liked the least over the, all the years. And you figure I've been a Bond fan since 1995, 96. So I got like practically 30 years worth of watching these movies I do have some formed opinions, but I really went into like these couple of ones that I didn't like going, all right, I'm going to try to appreciate everything I can about that. And I have appreciated a lot more about Dr. No this time. Like surprisingly, I was like, oh man, that's a really good start. Like I liked Dr. No way more than I remember liking Dr. No, but it's still ranked pretty low because the other ones are just ones I like better. And when it comes to For Your Eyes Only, I'm like, if there's any movie out of this that I think that maybe I'll be able to like better, it's probably this one. And instead I'm like, nah, fuck it. Don't like it. <laughs> just kind of still didn't do you, it. Like, Cause you harped on the age a lot for uh, Roger Morris. I think like you're completely over more here. You're ready for Dalton. And I don't know how you're going to possibly rank the next two movies shaken. If you already think he's too old for the role here. It's a combination of things. It's he's too old for the part, but he gets older in the other two, and I like him better in the other two. Well, I like him better in Octopussy. In Avitable Kill, different story. But Avitable Kill, for instance, is a more fun movie for me to watch than this is. It's equally dumb in a lot of parts, and even worse in some other parts. But I can I can stomach Avitable Kill more than For Your Eyes Only because it's more fun in the way that it does it you got christopher walken you know you got uh grace jones like there's there's fun elements to it but for your eyes only i'm like i don't like the villains i don't like that bb is a character in this i think that that's silly i don't like 
any of the gadgets really. There's the whole like the umbrella thing, the Blofeld thing is just a problem in a lot of ways. So there's like fundamental, not enjoyable parts. And then there's very forgettable parts. And then there's things that are silly that I don't like. It kind of like checks off all the things that I wouldn't like them to do. Even though I know that there's a chance that this could have been a really good movie. Because I do think that there's elements that could be really good. They just didn't do it. That's fair enough. Yeah. So unfortunately, that's for your eyes only. But, you know, when we pick this back up, we'll be in the latter half of the series. Because we're halfway done. Wow. Yeah, we're going to be a whole other booklet of the box set with the next one. We have banged these out. Not I mean, unlike uh, Bond. <laughs> not unlike Bond. I, I mean, granted, you guys didn't know that because they're coming out even more on a delay than what we're recording them as. But wow, we've gotten through a lot of these very quickly. Yeah, we're we're doing this on March 22nd. You guys are probably hearing it on maybe April 12th. Or no, not 12th. That's a different day that I'm releasing it. April 16th or 23rd. Something well, like in that. In that case, this is the last one because Tony... Uh, passed away the prior week <laughs> I mean, due to uh, exhaustion. Like next week, we'll have the week before WrestleMania with Octopussy, and then the week of WrestleMania, we'll have a, um, a view to a kill. So maybe the last episode of a review to a kill is a view to a kill. <laughs> I don't know. Um, that that'll be interesting, of course, when we get around to that. But yeah, we're we're halfway done, which is kind of weird. And at this point, like you've seen. You know, all of the Connery ones, you've seen the majority of the Roger Moore ones, you've seen all of the Lazenby one. <laughs> and the series has gone from a, a weird ride, hasn't it? From Dr. Yeah. No all the way to this? It's been, it's been very, it's been a different journey than the one I was expecting. <laughs> I was expecting a lot of, you know... Oh, you can't do that today. And granted, there's been a lot of that. But there's also been a lot of, oh, this is dumb. Like, <laughs> oh, you know, like, the, this is just some straight up dumb. This is a dumb franchise at points. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I wanted to ask uh, Callum again. You were saying before about the Roger Moore ones were something you were really looking forward to. Where does this range on that kind of spectrum? What, just the movie in general, or just the overall? Like, uh, like when you were approaching the more idea. Oh, I knew that it was going to get ridiculous at this point. Like, I, I was amazed that it actually got serious for a little while, or at least like, it felt like... I'm surprised how much I enjoy a lot of them, just because I just think they're good movies. And it's not even just me being facetious or anything like that. I just feel like they're really, really like just enjoyable to just sit through and watch. I think that we're at the point where it's going to tip over for your eyes only like the start of it from what i recall of octopussy i think i'm going to fucking hate that movie <laughs> <laughs> so i'll wait for that one i haven't seen a view to a kill but if it's two years later than that then we'll just wait and see with this and it's got christopher fucking walking in it it's just gonna... <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll see yeah for the people that said for your eyes only we're gonna go in a more serious direction they go yeah, fuck it with Octopussy. 
yeah. I mean, I'm still uh, I'm still looking forward to it in that batshit crazy type of way. I mean, I can I can take a lot of the stuff saying that this movie is a bit dull, and then it it just bookended by two absolute moments of ridiculousness, um, and then a few bits and pieces uh, peppered in there. I feel like maybe I'm just I have a negative perception of more just because had I previously had a negative conception of more going into it just because he's the quote unquote like the dad bond or the the goofy the goofier bond but he i i'm actually appreciating the interpretation he takes in the role i think at this point uh, like now it's like five gonna be going into six and seven movies in the charm will fade away because you just want to see something different but i feel like it was a it was a welcome change of pace from what they were doing with Bros and um, Brosnan doing with um, Connery and Lazenby. I'll give you some I'm hints. Really <laughs> I'll give you some hints on Octopussy. Kananga. It's wine. <laughs> I have seen it, so I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, I can't say that one because that's going to spoil something too much. Yeah. Um, no, a, d- a different one that I'm thinking. Not even the that that one. I'm thinking right, of, yeah. a, some a character's name in the in this next one is something you'd go that can't be right, and it mm-hmm. and it actually was a real person's name that they took. <laughs> so that's the thing. Uh, we're we're getting um and twins <laughs> in this next one. <laughs> We're getting some weird stuff in this next one, that's for sure. Um, and some tennis. <laughs> so the next I mean, film this is, is going to be, be a mess, isn't it? it it's uh, it, it's not quite Diamonds Are Forever, but if there's any of the movies that gets Diamonds Are Forever vibes from the Roger Moore era, it's this next one. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> And we've got a villain that has some of the best dialogue in the whole thing because he just goes and yells random words, which I love. So he would be like, you know, make sure that you tune in next time. And then you <laughs> that kind of thing. But make sure you tune in next time. I'm not going to be talking the way that um, Orloff does. And that you follow us all over the place on our social media accounts. That you check out things like the uh, other series that we do here, like the review points of different movies. Like by this point, we've probably done a couple movie reviews. Maybe I know that at the very least we've done like the Zack Snyder's Justice League because that was already something that's up when we were recording this. So that's there if you're interested in that. There are some bonus features and there are things on the pro wrestling side of things as well on smartcountmoment.com. So go to smartcountmoment, check out all the pro wrestling stuff if you're interested in that. Subscribe to that YouTube channel, follow that Facebook and Twitter account, hit up the Patreon for that, just like you should for the Fanboys Anonymous stuff, and follow what these guys have going on their social media accounts. Callum's at Wigmeister14 on Twitter. Callum, do you have anything to plug yet? No, still nothing to, um, to plug super seriously. I won't start plugging that until probably two weeks after it starts when I actually have something nailed in and then you're actually listening back to this one as well. So I don't want to, I don't want to spoil anything just yet knowing that I don't know when, if and when it's going to get going. But other than that, you can just check out on smallcatmoment.com all the great articles on there and on the Smallcat Moment YouTube channel or podcast feed, whatever you want to 
uh, use. Go back and listen to all the episodes of Paul Heyman Smackdown and 2001 A Wrestling Odyssey, the special retro review series that both myself and Rob have done in the past. But yes. yeah, that's it for me. And you can follow me on Twitter at Dude Felice. You can check out everything I'm doing over at Fightful.com. At this point, I think we're done with WrestleMania week. So uh, we're still here. We're still rocking it. Thank you all for checking all that coverage out. Uh, maybe Twitch is up by now. I don't know. Just follow me on Twitter and see what is happening there. And just stay safe. Uh, stay shaken. <laughs> and uh, I'll give you back to Tony, who will say something stupid. <laughs> I uh, thought of a way to work around that character name without spoiling it too much. A penny for your thoughts. So stay tuned for a lot of those kind of jokes with this next film because the James Bond series recap that we're doing here and the Review to a Kill podcast will return with Octopussy. Octopussy.